Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Predators keep it in the blue zone. Walk it in, shoot it on. Huso the save. Tap in, and that's blocked by Huso as Sissons had it all alone in front. And Billy Huso's made four big saves early in the game. Top of the circle, they center, it's deflected in. Huge save, Huso. Guess what day it is, huh? Pump day. Good morning and happy hump day in St. Louis. It's Carriker and Smallman. It's 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And you heard the guy of the moment, the question of the moment. We're going to get to that as we roll on. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. Good morning, Randy Carriker. I can't believe it's hump day already. This week is flying by. It is absolutely flying by. And we're closing in on the divisional round of the playoffs. And before you know it, the Super Bowl will be here and then spring training. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Why'd you have to do that? Just bummed me out. I didn't want to start the day that way, but I'm being real. You are being real, and it is a bummer because we should be building in segments every single day where we're talking Cardinal baseball, where we're getting excited for spring training. Mm-hmm. You know, the end of January, beginning of February is when we really start to get the build up to the crescendo that right. is spring training. And instead, there's no movement. We're not talking baseball because the only thing to talk about is the inactivity of these two groups of people that just can't seem to figure it out. This past weekend was winter warm-up weekend. Oh, that's such a sad thing to think about. Isn't that terrible? It's one yeah. of the best weekends in St. Louis. Yeah. That open the home opener and the winter warm-up, I think, are the two days in St. Louis where we have the most hope. Because the winter mm-hmm. warm-up, it's it's such a great tradition. The players are in town. It's just such a, a fun and happy day where we celebrate Cardinal baseball. It's gross outside. Mm-hmm. There's not really anything else going on that we care about. And that's always such a fun day on the calendar. And obviously, the home opener is the home opener. So to think that that had to go by the wayside because of this fighting, it makes me angry, Randy. We've got quite a day coming up. We're going to talk to our friend Bernie Federico at 815. David Perron is back. He's with us at 845. We're also going to talk to pro wrestler Randy Orton, native St. Louis, and one of the best in the business. He'll join us at 9. And then our friend Dave, Xavier Scruggs, we'll talk some lockout with him uh, coming up at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. I have non-lockout questions for him. Yeah, me too. Because we at least need to, if if baseball won't infuse us with some hope and positivity, we're going to yeah. do it ourselves. We also want to hear from you via the text line and, of course, the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with your 101 ESPN app. You heard the Vile who so highlights at the top of the show yesterday we talked about it they talked about it on bk and ferrario and in the fast lane and michelle 
whether or not Craig Bruby and the Blues want to believe it and whether or not there is a goalie controversy within the confines of the Blues dressing room, outside of those confines in the stands at Enterprise Center and among fans and here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, there is a goalie controversy for the St. Louis Blues. I understand why people would think that because we tend to live directly in the moment and not think of things in a bigger picture. We we go micro, not macro, mm-hmm. right? And if you're going micro, Ville Husso has been unbelievable. 6-2-1, 935 save percentage. I mean, he's a guy that, especially on home ice, has been incredibly impressive for the Blues. Now, you couple that with some instances where Jordan Bennington hasn't been it, what you expect of Jordan Bennington. And I can understand why people would say, right, as DeMarco would say, I don't mind riding a hot guy. No. Ride the hot guy. And you could certainly make the argument that Ville Husso deserves more opportunities, especially at home. But let's not also forget Jordan Bennington and look at this with a lot of nuance. And some of the goals that went in with him aren't necessarily all of his fault. You need to look at the breakdowns around him and look at the entire picture and n- not forget what Jordan Bennington is capable of. That's the big thing is... Jordan Bennington hasn't lost it. And we do look at recency bias. There's no doubt that we should because you're trying to pile up as many points in a really competitive conference as you can. And Huso has won his last four. And Huso is eighth in the NHL in goals against. 2.22, save percentage. That's fourth in the NHL. And Bennington, with his 3.05 goals against, 49th in the NHL. And a 9.06 save percentage is 45th. So apples to apples two guys playing between the pipes behind the same group of guys Huso is performing much better and has especially as you mentioned at home so craig berube how do you handle this well i think you've got to look at obviously the play of the goalies and what's going on um but we have a plan in place probably every you know couple weeks in advance where we look at well this guy's going to start here and here but that's also subject to change on play and um, you're right, Billy Huso's playing extremely well right now. He has been for a while. And so you got to look at that. That goes into who's going to start the game a lot of times and who's going to get the next start. I have very good trust in both goalies. I like both the goalies. And I said, I said it from day one, you need both goalies throughout a season. You do need both goalies throughout a season. And if you still have trust in Jordan Bennington with the way Billy Huso's been playing, this is a good thing if you're the Blues. However... You mentioned that they need to really be getting every win and every point that they can. I mean, the margin for error is razor thin for a team that's competing to get the best position come playoff time. So it is a difficult decision that Craig Berube and the Blues are going to have to make. And Michelle, I'm just, I'm a stupid fan. And (laughs) a couple of years ago when Bitter got hot, I mapped out on my own looking at the Blues schedule when Bennington was going to play and when Jake Allen was going to play. And I think it was like 99% correct. If you look at this rationally and look at the games, for example, how can you not play Jordan Bennington against Seattle on Friday night, right? You're going to, no doubt. You're trying to build up a guy's confidence, give him the opportunity to play against a lesser team. And then when you play at Vancouver, another lesser team, I'm playing Bennington both I'm playing him Friday and Sunday, and then Monday I'm at Calgary, and I'm back to Huso at Calgary on Monday against a team that's a little bit better than Vancouver. Then I come home, and I play Huso at home against Calgary and probably play Bennington against Winnipeg here. It's pretty easy to map out, and at the end of the day, if, if you 
look at the end of the Blues season, and I talked about this yesterday. At the beginning of the season, I thought that Bennington would play about 50, Huso would play about 32. That's probably changed, but not dramatically. Mm -hmm. You probably have Bennington playing 45 and Huso winding up playing 37. But I can guarantee you this. Game one of the playoffs, if both Ville Husso and Jordan Bennington are healthy, Jordan Bennington is the Blues goalie for the first game of the playoffs. Well, one of those two guys has hoisted a Stanley Cup for the yeah, St. Exactly, Louis Blues. Exactly. So you go with the guy that you've seen do it before, and you go with the guy that you just signed to a six-year, $36 million contract. Yeah. There's no reason that Jordan Bennington wouldn't be that guy, especially for game one of the playoffs. But if Ville Husso, if what we're seeing out of him right now continues through the end of the season, if both trends continue with both goalies, I would imagine Jordan Bennington would get the nod first game because he is playoff tested, but you would have a lot of fans that were uh, that were very loud about the fact that they would want to see Huso between the pipes. And if this trend continues and Bennington loses game one, you've got a really nice insurance mm-hmm. policy for game two if Bennington is the reason that you didn't win the game. And remember during the playoffs, Jordan Bennington, when he would have a bad game, would bounce back and have an unbelievable yep. game. Right. Those are things you have to think about too. Jordan right. Bennington, when questioned or when tested or when angry, is normally at his best. So I wonder if he's listening to all of this, if this is something that he pays attention to, and if this is going to light that fire inside just a little bit more. By the way, I mentioned the rankings for Huso, eighth in goals against, fourth in uh, save percentage, Bennington 49th in goals against, 45th in save percentage, Chucky Sideburns, Charlie Lindgren, first in goals against at 1.22, first in save percentage at 958. Yeah, if we're talking goalie controversy, (laughs) why are we not talking Chucky Sideburns? It's unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. ESPN reporting that the league has changed its COVID rules. It was interesting. I was uh, talking to Doug Armstrong on Monday night. And he said, man, I wish they would change these rules so that we didn't have to test players. And then lo and behold, uh, that's Monday night. Tuesday, we get word that the league is going to stop testing asymptomatic players after the All-Star break, which just makes sense. So that guys aren't, aren't missing right. from their team, especially as they get closer to the playoffs. If I was hockey, I wouldn't want to have anything in place where my stars or the teams that are going to be competing in the playoffs could be affected by this. And the league will still test all players and staffers before cross-border travel between the U.S. and Canada. College basketball last night. How about M-I-Z-Z-O-U? Do they just, are, are they the most consistent college basketball team that you've ever encountered, Michelle? What do you mean, Randy? Well, Elaborate se- on that. A 78-53 win over Ole Miss. They just, they just keep Keep rolling, either up a hill or down a hill. Up a hill, down a hill. That pendulum <laughs> swings both sides. There's no in between. <laughs> they're they're amazing. But congratulations to the Tigers on a 25 point win over Ole Miss. Let's see, 53, Yeah, 25 point win. Uh, <laughs> and for you aren't here. Michelle saw me doing it with my fingers. Yeah, so. we don't do math on this show. No. We, we got into this business to not do math. Slu is at UMass tomorrow, and uh, I L L I N I at Maryland on Friday. And, Michelle, one other fun note here, and we're going to get to a couple of texts, too. But by the time the Lakers and Jazz tipped off Monday night, according to The Athletic, Frank Vogel was coaching for his job. He narrowly avoided being fired in the wake of that 37-point loss to Denver. He had a scene like that repeated itself against the Jazz. Many believed that it would have been Vogel's last game, and The Athletic reports that Vogel is coaching for his job with every Lakers game. That's ridiculous. It is. But you have Magic come out and say this is unacceptable. You have LeBron apologizing on Twitter. And LeBron's in charge there. Yeah. And David Fisdale, who was an assistant for LeBron's championship team in Miami, one of them, 
He's the assistant coach there. He doesn't really want to be a head coach, but LeBron could probably uh, coerce him into taking the job. But, man, think about that if you're Frank Vogel. If Russell Westbrook goes two for 14 tonight, I lose my job. But... Why Why is the conversation not about Anthony Davis? And and yeah. I don't understand why the conversation is not centered around the health of Anthony Davis and not about Frank Vogel. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's crazy. And, and that's just the way they are. And I, I get expectations. I get the NBA being a player's league. But at some point, you're right. You have to say, why are we losing? You have to ask that question. And the reason that they're losing is because they don't have Anthony Davis. I don't really think Frank Vogel can control that. No, yeah, he really can't. But if they want to make him the fall guy, go for it. Yeah. A couple of uh, Huso texts here on 101 ESPN. Bennington's goals against and save percentage has been worse every year since his rookie season. That is a trend. And that is correct. You can't deny that. And that's what I think a lot of people are looking at. It's just the the complete stats, the numbers. They're not looking at the game tape. They're not watching what happened. And, and I'm not even disparaging people for doing that, but they're looking at it very black and yeah. white. Here are the numbers on Huso. Here are the numbers on Bennington. And that's why I think so many people are saying, give Ville Huso more opportunities. And here's another point, because the Blues are only four points ahead of Minnesota. They're in third place right now in the Central Division. And... I want Binner to be right in the head, and we have to figure him out. But for now, we need wins. We need to be banking points. And this division is so competitive. It is. It's very easy to fall out of a playoff spot. And if you do that because you're trying to get a goalie right, that's kind of like trying to get a pitcher wins, right? If you're in a tight pen. Well, we've seen that happen before. It's not the <laughs> answer to your problems. No. Ride, ride a hot guy. Yeah. But, but also make sure that you, the guy who's done it in the playoffs, who's done it in a Stanley Cup final, is is also getting reps and getting ready to go because that's that's the body of work that I'm most concerned about. I appreciate everything Billy Huso is doing. Trust me, I am impressed with him just like you are. I would love to see him get more hop opportunities, especially on home ice. But one of these two guys I watched stand on his head many times in a playoff scenario when the pressure was the highest mm -hmm. when the, w with an organization who had never won a Stanley Cup championship before and everyone was on edge and he was the guy who said I'm not nervous yeah get me out there that's the body of work that I'm going to pay attention to as well more on the goalie controversy coming up at eight o'clock at your Mic drops in with your 101 ESPN app. Just use the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up, though, it is hump day. And that means if you have any questions about relationships, about what you should do this weekend, you can ask a sports question here or there. 65780 is Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. All right, I'm holding my glasses like a thoughtful person right now. Yeah, you are. Because I'm going to be thoughtful for you. It's time for Ask Uncle Randy, and we, we get a lot of great questions on Ask Uncle Randy. I'd like to know if uh, we have any updates on any of the people that have texted us previously. One gentleman who uh, really liked the girl, she liked him, but he liked the sister better, and they wound up getting together. I'd like to know how that relationship is coming along. And then last week, we had uh, <laughs> the guy who was really into a young lady goes to dinner with the parents and as it turns out had a one night stand with the mom 
and the mom recognized him mm-hmm. and said, we're never going to tell her. Yeah, which is a good move. So ask Uncle Randy, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, what do we got? From the 314, let's start with a sports question. Okay. Who is Uncle Randy rooting for in the NFL playoffs, and who does he like in the big game? All right, I am rooting for the Packers because I have relationships and friends with the Packers. So, And my dad was a Packers fan, so I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for Tom Brady, obviously. Yeah. So in the NFC Championship game, I want Tom Brady and the Packers. I want the Packers to win there. In the AFC, Buffalo and Kansas City, that can go either way for me. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are Chiefs fans. So if, if the Chiefs win, I know a lot of people don't like Clark Hunt, but if the Chiefs win, I have no problem with that. And I'm intrigued, although I know I'm going to see Joe Burrow for the next 10 years. I'm intrigued to see what Joe Burrow does, but... Titans fans are kind of like us, and I wouldn't mind seeing Tennessee win either. Tennessee, I, I tweeted this yesterday. Has there ever been a less discussed number one seed? Nobody talks about the Tennessee Titans. Not really, especially with Derrick Henry returning. Yeah, coming you, back. You'd think that people would talk about them a lot more. Yeah, and they've and won what a big they playoff games. They've, they've won in New England in the playoffs. They've won in Baltimore in the playoffs. Now they've got home field. They're scary. Yeah. And by the way, the number one scoring defense in the league since the midpoint of the season. Games one through nine, they were something like 10th, and they've been first since game 10 or game nine, something like that. So there's a lot of teams that you're cheering for or intrigued by. I am. Yeah, but there's only one that I'm rooting against heavily. The Rams. Yeah. Of course. Hate them. I know you do. I've bought, I've bought a, what's that? Is there anything higher than first class? Because whatever it is, I've purchased that on the Joe Burrow bandwagon, on the, on the Bengals bandwagon. I'm of course cheering for yeah. Tom Brady, but I am all in on the Bengals. Yeah. You, you, you've chartered the, uh, the, the Joe Burrow that's bandwagon. Right. That's, that's a Michelle Swalman charter. That is true. <laughs> okay. So from the 636, dear Uncle Randy, I really like this girl and I want to take her out or make her dinner. I'm a really good cook, but I don't know how to ask her. Okay, first of all, make the making her dinner second, third, fourth date. Take her out the first date. The way to ask her out is, hey, what are you doing for dinner on Friday night? I'd love to take you out. That's the best way to ask her. Just ask. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah. So that that's the play. I know that's on, that's back in my day, that, that was the play all the time. Now you can text somebody if you have their number. But, and Michelle, you give me the female point of view. Is there still something to be said for the personal touch of being asked out? Of being, of somebody saying, hey, would you like to go out to dinner with me? Yeah, I don't know how else you would ask. Uh, text, email. Oh, you're saying like physically the, pick up the yeah, phone and call yeah, them? Yeah. Yeah. And she's more likely to say yes if you call because mm-hmm. she's not going to have time to think about a return text. Exactly. So. Right. So pick yeah. up the phone. No, call I'm her. washing my hair next week. I'm yeah. busy. I have plans. No, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. But yeah, just ask her. Ask her out, yeah. What's the worst that could happen? She says no. You're right. already not having dinner with her right now. Just ask her. Yeah. And hey, you know what? You'll find somebody else you like. If she says no, you'll find somebody else you like and you'll ask her out. Take your shot. Shoot or shoot. Shooters do shoot. What did Wayne Gretzky say, Michelle? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You Wayne Gretzky, also Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. yeah. Correct. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, I have friends coming in from out of town this weekend. Where's the best place to go for drinks and for dinner? Okay, uh, let's give you some ideas. So uh, I, I would like to know how many people it is. If you have a small group 
of four, for example, you, you're a couple and there's another couple, or six, one of my favorite places is Rich and Charlie's at 141 in Clayton. It's great. And it's small, very intimate, but the food is spectacular. You'll love it. And it's not very expensive. Fantastic uh, Italian place. Can't go wrong there. If you go to the Hill, I'm a, I'm a big fan of all of the Hill restaurants, but I, I just like the menu at Zia's. They have a really good menu on the Hill. So I, I would go there. And then uh, if, if you're going to be in Clayton, you can never go wrong with Napoli and... You can, uh, and I'm I'm kind of sticking to Italian stuff here. If you want to go to a steakhouse, I, I know that it's a chain, but the Fleming's is sensational. So Eater just came out with a new piece called Where to Eat in 2022. Uh-huh. And there's only a handful of cities in the entire world that were selected, and St. Louis, Missouri was selected. Good for us. It's a, we have an incredible culinary and restaurant scene here. So I would go there. There's over 20 restaurants that are on the list and take your friends somewhere that's on the Eater list. Eater.com? Yep, Eater.com. What's number one? What, as far as the cities? Yeah, no, for, oh, do they have the list of restaurants in our town? They do. Let me pull it up. Hang on one second. Okay. I remember when the Rams initially moved here in 1995, somebody asked John Shaw about St. Louis, and he said, I can't believe how many great restaurants are in St. Louis. There's, we, there's more good restaurants in St. Louis than there are in L.A., and I think that's probably still the case. So number one is China Bistro at Pan Asian Supermarket. Okay. Um, number two, El Toco Taqueria and Grocery Tacos. Mm-hmm. Three is Nudo House. Four is the Foundry Bakery. Five is Olive and Oak. Love Olive and Oak. Olive and Oak is great. Chiang Mai is on the list. Balkan Treat Box. Um, I'm scrolling, scrolling. Louis, which is my favorite restaurant in town, is on the list. Joya's is on the list. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's so many brasserie. So that's always a fun thing to do to say St. Louis just got recognition for our culinary scene. We're going to take you to a place that's on this list. By the way, we did my birthday at Vito's in the Valley in Chesterfield Valley, which was spectacular. Either the, the Vito's out there or the Vito's over by St. Louis U on Lindell. They're both great, too. So I've given you a lot of ideas, but uh, I would start. Just uh, if, well, again, if you, if it's only four people, I, I'm a huge Rich and Charlie's proponent. They've been there forever and they're great. So fun. From the 636, Darren Randy, my wife has a relatively low paying job. However, she's being asked to transfer to Southwest Missouri. I want to stay in St. Louis and I can cover our living expenses with my job. How do I approach her about finding a new job in St. Louis? I think that's the way to approach it is say, hey, we're comfortable here. We like St. Louis. Southwest Missouri might be great, but it might not. We know what we have here. We're, we're at a known quantity here. I can tie this over with my job until you find another job that you might even like better. Why don't we try to keep our quality of life here in St. Louis rather than making a move so that you can maintain the lower paying job and I have to find a new one? I, if I'm in that situation, if I'm the couple, I'm, I'm going where the best situation is. I think being in St. Louis is a better situation. And realistically, whether it's Southwest Missouri or Chicago or Topeka, Kansas or Buffalo, New York, you, you keep the highest paying job, I think. I would just pull up that eater list and say, babe, did you not see (laughs) St. Louis as one of the best food cities in the entire world? We can't leave now. No, just kidding. But I do think that it's important from a lifestyle standpoint. 
to keep the higher paying job rather than the lower paying job. Yes, and you want to be respectful of her career. Yeah, right. And obviously, this is a, sound, what sounds like an advancement opportunity mm-hmm. for her. But we're also talking about moving to a place that is going to it seemingly make your quality of life lesser because it doesn't right. sound like you want to move there. So right. that's a big, a big factor as well. Yeah. So like Michelle said, be respectful of her career, but at the same time, point out that there are lots of cool careers that are available here in St. Louis. Last one, Randy, from the 636. Hey, Uncle Randy, I just pulled the pork shoulder off the smoker. Oh, good play. Yeah. What like are it. some of your favorite recipes with the leftovers? Okay, with, with a pork shoulder, that's interesting because it's not really uh, a sandwich meat. But I think one of the things that I like to do with leftover meat in general, and this is a Chris Ranji play, credit, credit to Ranj, reheat it in a fry pan, and it really winds mm. up being a flavorful leftover so have the meal again but with a different twist if you reheat it in a in a fry pan now if, if you're okay with a pork shoulder sandwich i'm not i'm I, it's funny because i'll do a roast beef sandwich i'll do a leftover turkey sandwich i just never thought of doing a, a pork sandwich but why not do a uh, plt a plt yeah pork lettuce and tomato sounds good Get a shot why not? Yeah, because it's uh, obviously, if you had that on the smoker, it's very tender and very delicious. Maybe do it on some sourdough. Mm. I'm thinking. For 7.28 in the morning, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I haven't had a BLT in a minute. Have you ever had the Crown Candy BLT? I have, and I was, it was an embarrassment on my part. I can't eat a lot, and I oh, couldn't really? even put, I barely put a dent in it. It's delicious, but there's just so much. I could barely put a dent in it, but it was like, I need to go and share that with someone. Yeah, it it is unbelievable. And I'm sure that Andy Candy is making bacon as we speak and probably putting a picture of it up on social media. But I I don't know how he puts so much bacon on a sandwich. It's incredible. And by the way, for the people that want to go somewhere, if you're going for a lunch, Crown Candy Kitchen is another great place to take people from out of town because their shakes and malts are delicious. But that BLT is the best BLT you'll ever have. It's awesome. At Crown Candy Kitchen. Yeah, we got to we gotta do that. If you haven't had one in a minute, we got to get some BLTs. Let's go. Got to make that happen. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. If you haven't heard about it, a little set to between a member of the Edmonton Oilers and one of their media members yesterday, we'll talk about the responsibility of players with their media interactions next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yesterday, the Edmonton Oilers were holding their media session and the Oilers have been scuffling of late and the players are always brought to a Zoom and they're provided an opportunity to explain themselves to the media and the media is given an opportunity to ask the players why things are either going well or what's happening or why things are not going particularly well and one of the members of the Edmonton Oilers media is Hall of Famer Jim Matheson who addressed a question to the Oilers superstar and NHL points leader and MVP Leon Dreisaitl. Lots of reasons for why the Oilers are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. What do you think is the number one reason for the losses now? Is there is there one thing that you in your own mind you're saying we got to get better at that? Yeah, we ha- we have to get better at everything. Would you like to expand on that? No. Nope. You can do that. 
you know everything. Why are you so pissy, Leon? Hmm? Why are you so pissy? I'm not. I'm just I, answering your yeah, question. Yeah, you are. Whenever I ask you a question. I gave you an answer. Not very good one. Okay. I have one more for you. Leon, you show your frustration on the ice. Last game against Ottawa. Is that a good thing when you show it so the other team knows you're frustrated? Yeah, it's a great thing, for sure. Good. Yeah. All right, a couple of things, Michelle. Number one, I thought the question was fair and reasonable from Jim Matheson. What is one thing that you can do better? What Our job, what, and you and I are syncopato here, our job as the media is a vessel or a conduit to the fans. Mm-hmm. Fans want to know why things are not going well. And and by the uh, way, they're the paying customer. Right. And, and we <laughs> should hopefully reflect what the ordinary fan, not the outrageous Twitter fan, what the ordinary fan that's sitting in the stands, what they think and what they want to know. Secondly, another thing I thought of as I listened to and watched that last night is how disarmingly honest the Blues were when they were in last place in 2018. How they didn't duck. They were, mm-hmm. they were maybe too honest in saying, yeah, we're emotionally fragile. The problem is that we have no confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't know what's going wrong, and we're no, trying to figure it out. Right. They, they had such great patience with us in asking the exact same questions. Why are things going wrong? And I loved, and maybe this is something that they, uh, their PR staff is terrific. Mike Crusoe and uh, Dan O'Neill and the, their, their staff of PR people over there works with players. And I, I think that's part of it. You and I were with Tony Wiley, maybe the best PR guy I've ever been with. Mm-hmm. And he was the PR guy for the Titans after they lost to the Rams in the Super Bowl. And Tony talked about how... He had McNair and Eddie George and somebody else literally crying in the locker room. He says, hey, you got to go out to talk to the media, and here's what you have to say. And maybe this is just a matter of public relations people, but I compared what Dreisaitl said to how the Blues reacted to scuffles a couple of years ago. And it made me think, man, we're pretty lucky to have, A, the people that are getting the people that are talking to us, and B, the the people – we're going to have to talk to David Perron at 845 – how incredibly honest the Blues players have been that have come through here. Yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky here in St. Louis that we've had so many great athletes and, and star athletes be that face, be the person that's the first to be at their locker or to face the media and answer questions honestly because it can't be easy. Imagine whatever your job is, whether you work at a bank or you're a teacher or you do what we do, and every day after work, you had 50 people asking you mm-hmm. questions about why why didn't you count the money correctly? Is that a habit? Is that something that, that you can improve upon? How can you improve upon it? Imagine having to answer questions about your performance while also not being able to be totally forthcoming mm-hmm. while airing out some of your coworkers or teammates all the time or reveal things that you need to keep within confidences. It's not an easy thing to do. I'm sure it's not a pleasant thing to do. However... What you said is true. We are the vessel for the fans, and they are the paying customer, and they want to know what's going on. So we have to ask these questions. Plus, that access is so important in keeping that passion and that energy for whatever sport and whatever team and whatever player it is that we're talking about. The more that you're in front of the media and the more exposure you get, the more you're in the consciousness of fans and the more money everyone is making. Right. In... 90 plus percent of the interactions that I had with Chris Pronger at some point 
I, I smiled or laughed. And I asked him the other night, I said, uh, on Monday night, I said, we had a lot of fun interviewing you. Did you have as much fun being interviewed by us? Uh, I think early on, not very much, uh, because I was still learning how to deal with the media, how to, you know, you have a job to do. I have a job to do. You do your job better when you have more information. Uh, not giving cliches and not giving, uh, you know, random one-word answers is, uh, you need something to write about. And it's also promoting the game. It's, um, you know, promoting the team, trying to fill seats in the building. That's, you know, you are in, to a certain degree, in partnership with the media, trying to grow the game and build a brand, et cetera. So you need quotes. And, you know, probably after my second year, just the banter and, and, you know, as I got older, I got better at not coming off. But, you know, there's lots of times I know when I was in Anaheim, there's still lots of guys that thought I was the guy that I was when I was 20, 21, 22. When your reputa reputation precedes you and they never see you, they never talk to you, but they talk to you once a year, they don't have nothing else to go on. So I wasn't really too worried about it at that time. Which is such a good approach, and that usually, as Prong says, comes with experience. When you first get into mm -hmm. any job, but especially if you're an athlete and you're trying to get acclimated to the majors or get used to your teammates and the, the pace of play, everything that you're dealing with, plus you're having to get used to dealing with the media questioning yeah. you all the time, it's a lot to take in. But over time, you realize that they are there trying to do a job, but that if you just play ball and you're honest and you show up and you answer the questions, it's a benefit for you. You. It helps expand your brand. It helps get eyeballs on your product. And that is a win for everybody. And it was interesting to see the reaction of Edmonton fans on Twitter because they're blaming the media for the Oilers losing. They aren't blaming Dreisaitl. They aren't blaming the, the players. They're blaming the media for not holding the front office accountable. Like the front office can go say, you go get a better defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. But... Ultimately, when you have an MVP-type player, for better or worse, Leon Dreisaitl has to be accountable to the fans. And Connor McDavid, same day, was great. He said, public perception, that's a big thing. The, the way the public feels about us, that is important. And Leon Dreisaitl obviously didn't care about that. And hopefully somebody from the Oilers and from the league will talk to him about how, hey, you're, you're one of the faces of the league. You can't be saying, you know everything. You can't be throwing little 10-year-old tantrums when you're at that podium. Yeah, it just comes off immature is, yeah. is what it does. But also, when whenever that team gets into a playoff situation, they want rabid fans that are going to be mm -hmm. there and cheering for them and, and filling up that building and giving them a home ice advantage, right? Well, when when you're at your low point and you have accountability and you say, we will get it better, just wait, we're going to have a playoff game in here, and, and you stand up and you take accountability, that's when fans are always going to ride for you. Think about the Blues mm -hmm. when they were in last yep. place and they made no excuses for themselves and they said, we are going to grind this out. We should be better. We're going to be better. And, and fans appreciate that. Chris Long will forever be one of the favorites here in St. Louis, and he was, fairly or unfairly, one of the favorites 
faces of one of the worst stretches of football in NFL history. It had nothing to do with him personally, but every day he showed up, every day he talked to the media, he did not mm-hmm. make excuses, and people will always respect him for that. Totally. And imagine if they would have stayed and Chris Long would have been the guy who got to be the face of a, of a winning team. Pe- mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People don't forget stuff like that. And one other guy that maybe the Oilers PR staff should take note of, just show Leon Dreisaitl five different press conferences that Ryan O'Reilly does after a loss. Yes. Where he says, hey, I, it, when Jim Matheson says, what's one thing that you guys have to do to be better? If you're Leon Dreisaitl, especially if you're a great player, you say, I have to be better. I have to be better in my, no, my mm-hmm. own end. I can't give the puck away. Uh, I need to be better in my game completely. If there's one thing, it's me. I'm the MVP of the league. I need to be better for our team to succeed more. Also, it's not going to be a winning battle for you to pick a fight with any reporter, let alone a very well-respected and a Hall of Famer. Just like we talk about athletes when fans boo them and then they come out in their post-game pressers or their their family members take to social media and they rip the fans, you're only going to make it worse. If you don't like the media being critical of you, don't not give them answers and snap back at them. It's never going to work out in your favor. Gary Bettman, one more thing. Have a seminar for all of your players or the NHLPA. Have Chris Pronger stand up at a podium and say exactly what he said to us the other night to the NHL players. With a beer. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Hoisting one. Can I give you one more thing? Yes. So we got a text that says that asking or comparing what everybody does every day, if you had to answer questions about your job every day is a terrible example because we're not millionaires. We're just regular people and no one cares. This is what people forget. They're human beings. These yeah. are human beings with emotions and feelings and not everyone adapts to situation. Just because they are good at shooting a hockey puck or, or throwing a football does not mean that they're not human beings with emotions. And Leon Dreisaitl, clearly frustrated. Did he handle it well? No. But it's important to take... Imagine if you were in that situation, whether it's your job as an accountant or a professional hockey player. It's still not an easy thing to do. We're all human beings. And he needs to be better prepared, kind of like a witness. His PR staff is getting paid for him to give better answers. So I put that a little bit on the PR staff of the Oilers as well. Did you hear the guy in the background be like, uh, we're, we're, good. we're done. Yeah, we're, we're done here. I felt we're badly good. for that guy. Yeah. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And, Michelle, did you see that Carlos Correa has hired Scott Boris as his agent? I did see it. Take it or leave it, Carlos Correa is on a team on opening day of the baseball season. That's a good one. And I'm going to take it. And I know where you're going with this because of Boris, that he Mm -hmm. might not. However, I think after the lockout, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be making irrational and frenzied moves. And so I think he's a guy that will have a landing spot. I think his only landing spots are Yankees, Astros. People thought he was going to go to Detroit. They signed Javi Baez. 
he's uh, not going to go to the Mets because they have Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. Cardinals aren't going to spend the kind of money that he'll. That's a at least a three hundred and twenty-six million dollar contract now. With with Seager getting three twenty-five from the Rangers, Boris isn't taking less than three twenty-five for Correa. Which is a good point. The Yankees, will they spend for him? That's a great question because they're up against the tax. Mm-hmm. Maybe the... I keep reading yeah. Trevor's story, too, that they're interested right. in him. Yeah. The, the Red Sox have uh, their shortstop under contract, so I don't see them uh, being uh, Xavier Bogarts. I don't see them being a player. Maybe the Angels with Albert coming off the books, but they're, they you, they're flighty. <laughs> yeah, you never know what they're going to do. Yeah, and I, I would just imagine that if they're going to invest in anything, they're going to continue to invest in pitching. Yeah, so and, and maybe he just goes back to Houston for less dollars. But my, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to say that Boris holds out and Correa is not on a major league roster on the first day of the season. Okay, that, that's certainly one to monitor. Okay, Randy, so we know that Big Ben, even though he, I guess, technically didn't tell his teammates he's officially retired, he's done. We know that mm-hmm. this, this is not this... Uh, false start with Big Ben as we've seen with retirements before. I don't think he's going to be coming back. So Mike Tomlin was asked about the quarterback position for the Steelers moving forward and he was he was saying we're going to explore all options whether it's through the draft or a veteran that could be available. Take it or leave it with the draft class that's coming through with quarterback not as rich with prospects as, as we've seen before we're going to have a veteran under center a new veteran under center for the Pittsburgh Steelers next season. I'm going to take that. That team is set up to win now. They aren't... A, they're not going to rebuild? No, they're a quarterback away. They're not a rookie quarterback away. They have a running back. They have three receivers. They have a young offensive line that should get better. Their defense is one of the best defenses in the league. They're literally a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. So I'm going to say, yes, they do get a veteran, but I have no idea who that veteran is going to be. If, if I were to guess right now who... And this will be totally out of character for the Steelers to do. But if I were to guess, I would say Russell Wilson would be the quarterback. That was going to be my follow-up to Yoli, that it's Russell Wilson. Yeah. He's looking to get out. They're a quarterback away. Even though it's not necessarily the market that we would assume that mm-hmm. Russ and Sierra would want to go to, it still is a legacy franchise. Right. And if you— And it's close to New York. Yeah, right. And leaving Sierra out of the mix, which is hard to do, but from a po- <laughs> football perspective, I would say that being the quarterback of the Steelers— is greater than even when winning because of the Steelers national fan base and loyalty to the franchise greater than being the quarterback of the Giants certainly winning versus the losing Giants but I think if both teams go 11 and 5 and make the first round of the playoffs you're going to get more endorsement opportunities as the quarterback of the Steelers than you will as the quarterback of the Giants I don't know, but if I mean, you're the quarterback of the Giants, you could be hosting SNL. You're living in a penthouse overlooking the park. You're on the... That stuff, yeah. If, if you, know you include I mean? Ciara in the mix, Ciara, that definitely is advantage Giants. But, I mean, look at what Terry Bradshaw's career has become. Compare that to any Giants quarterback's career. Even guys who won multiple Super Bowls, like Eli, or even though Phil Simms didn't win the second Super Bowl. He was the quarterback for that team. But Terry Bradshaw is bigger than any of those guys. Look at Troy Palomalo. He's head, yeah. head, head and shoulders yep. commercials. You know, right. I mean, that that brand carries. It really does. All right, your tech 65780. Michelle, what do we got? Okay. From 
the 765. I had to triple check that because I don't know if I know where that well, area we'll code Google is from. We'll Google that while you're reading it. The 765, take it or leave it. Ville Husso gets the start against the Kraken. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave it too. 765 is an area code in the North American numbering plan in the central part of Indiana. Oh, shout out to Indiana. Hoosier yeah. was in the house. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Good to have you with us. Streaming, I'm, I'm assuming. Or maybe you're a transplant and you kept your phone yep. number. Yeah. Would you ever change your phone number? No. If you moved? I wouldn't now. No. I did when I went to Connecticut and it was always weird to say, oh, it's here's my number, 860, whatever, because you get so used to the area code. Right. Didn't Fisher get grief for having a 314 in L.A.? I think he did. Well, that's weird. Yeah, I think Spags still has a 314. Shout out. Yeah. I love it. Well, changing your number is a hassle. You have it to is. text everybody, hey, I, I got a new and number. And nobody knows anybody's number anyway. It doesn't matter what the area code is because nobody knows. Like, when all of your out-of-town friends, if if you lost your phone, would you know any of your friends' numbers? Not Only any. my parents, that's it. Yep, that, me too. I, I have... My, I know my home number, but that's it. Nobody knows anybody's number. I don't even know if I could tell you my friend's area code. There you, you know, go. I remember my, my best girlfriend from college. I remember her cell phone number because when we first were in college and we had to have cell phones, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you were typing it in and sometimes still calling from the landline. But other than that, I don't think I could tell you anybody's number. Yeah. I remember the, when the Casey Anthony story was big? Casey Anthony allegedly killed her daughter, but I think she got off. But anyway, <laughs> there was a story... Actually, during that trial, uh, we were watching, and she had to call her home to get her boyfriend's phone number. And Joan said, she doesn't even know her boyfriend's phone number? How ridiculous is she? And I said, what's your son's phone number? And she said, okay, good point. (laughs) (laughs) What's your son's phone number? That is a good one. From the 636, we certainly know that area code. Take it or leave it. Rams versus Niners NFC Championship. Oh, man, I, I got to leave it. I know there's people that are by, I, I was with Joe Buck the other night. He thinks the Niners are going to win that game. And I think the Rams have a gr- great chance. You know, the one thing that bothers Brady more than anything else is pressure up the middle. Who provides pressure up the middle better than Aaron Donald? That's a scary game. And by the way, if Tristan Wirfs is out yeah, that's for Tampa, uh-huh. it's a really scary game. So we basically need somebody to... To take out Matthew Stafford, which I don't know. Uh, hopefully that'll happen. I'll, I'll, I'm going to reluctantly leave it. I don't want that to happen, but I think it's a possibility. I think it is too, but in Tom, we trust. Yeah. And Aaron. And Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. The, not the Donald, one team. Not Donald. Tampa's not going to Green Bay and winning. LA's not going to Green Bay and winning. The one team that can go to Green Bay and win is San Francisco. But we're not concerned about that. We just need the Rams to lose. Right. Yeah. Let's let's have them lose on Sunday. Let's wonderful. get this over with. Yeah. Quickly. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Take it or leave it from the three one four. Dakota Hudson is the addition that no one is talking about for the Cardinals. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take your it number too. one starter. I think he and Jack Flaherty are your two biggest X factors for the season. Yeah, I'm with you. From the three one four, take it or leave it. You guys keep talking about Sierra, but she's done nothing that people care about. I think there are people that care about stuff that she's done. Russell obviously does. She's a big-time superstar. And the reason she's a part of this conversation is because Russ talked about the fact that her wanting to get to a bigger market Mm -hmm. because of her career is factoring majorly into his decision about where he wants to go. We're not just casually talking about Sierra. I am not in Sierra's target demographic, I don't think. I think you might be, right? She's a musician? She is. Okay. 
Because there are musician actresses. Does, does she act as well? Um, I've seen her in commercials, but I don't okay. think she's in feature films, she's a no. beautiful young lady. But yeah, I do think that, that her career, it has to be a factor for Russ. It might not be a factor for us, but it has to be for Russ. For sure. Happy wife, happy life. Which is why it's a factor for us. If it's yeah. a factor for Russ, it's a factor for us. Yeah. We just came up with a poem. We're poets and don't know it. <laughs> or did we know it? <laughs> From the 314, take it or leave it. And this is the last one. An everything bagel, egg, bacon, cheese is the best thing ever. Okay, I don't know if it's the best thing ever. I know that the everything bagel is like a huge deal right now. As a matter of fact, everything spice, there's an everything bagel spice. Get it? That's T-Joe's, out there. it's the bomb. Throw it on everything. Your toast. I, w- I would say that, uh, and by the way, Matt Rocchio is all over this. He's loving it. He's he's cheering in the background here. I would suggest that uh, it's very good, but not the best thing ever. Okay, what's better than that? Don't say your carrot cake, because that is true. Uh, Carrot cake. I I would say that uh, a great, not the deep dish pizza that you hate, but a, a great traditional crust pepperoni pizza is better. Oh, folded in half? Yep. I have dreams, Randy. Okay, so where I stay, the the person's place that I stay at in New York has a bodega right underneath mm-hmm. around the corner. I dream about the bagels from Michelle, the bodega. I'm telling you, I was just going to say, that's the only place I order egg sandwiches. Oh, my God. Love, love St. Louis Bread Company. Love all of our local delis. But the only place where I order egg sandwiches is in New York. It's unbelievable. You, could, you just pop in there, you get it, and, yeah, I love it with a... A bacon, egg, and cheese, or, you know, some schmear, get a coffee to go. It is unbelievable. And I will say this. If you're going, like, on a nice spring, summer, fall day, and you're leaving on a weekend for a 50-mile bike ride, either an egg sandwich or a burrito is the way to go. Because it's really good. Every ingredient that you need to have a strong workout is in either the, the egg sandwich, that one that was suggested by the texter, or... Uh, a, a good, not not a bad. You need a good breakfast burrito with for, all the stuff. For sure. Make that baby at home. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> you got it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we want to hear from you. Do you think the Blues have or should have a goalie controversy? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. Top of the circle, the center, it's deflected in. Huge save, Huso. Rebound bounced in front. And on one knee, Perinkle fires it all the way down. Top of the circle, the center, it's deflected in. Huge save, Huso. It is 8.07, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, in the month of January, Ville Husso is 3-0 with a 9.47 save percentage and a 1.67 goals against. He has been superb and at the other end, well, I won't say the other end of the spectrum, but it hasn't been as smooth a ride for Jordan Bennington this season and definitely as of late. As a matter of fact, if you look at 
Bennington's January compared to Huso. Benner is 2-2 two two with an 887 save percentage and a 4.09 goals against. So it's natural that we as fans are going to say, hey, Huso should be playing rather than Bennington. We want your text, 65780. We know the reality of the situation, that Jordan Bennington at the end of the season is going to be the guy that when the playoffs start, mm-hmm. the guy with the contract and the guy that's won a Stanley Cup is going to be the guy. But right now, how much should Ville Huso be playing? I would say that he should get half the games over the next 10 or 12 games. You're in a position where you need to gather points and you're in the race for the best position come playoff time. Yeah, as we said at the beginning of the show, but it's bears repeating as our old friend DeMarco Farr used to say, we don't mind riding the hot guy. Ride the hot hand with Billy Huso, especially at home, but it's going to be still leaning towards Jordan Bennington getting most of the time in between the pipes. That's just what it's going to be. He's the guy with the contract and if things continue this way, if Ville Huso continues to play at an unbelievable clip and we're seeing easy goals that should be stopped go in from Jordan Bennington, then I think we have more of a controversy. But as we sit here right now, I don't think it's a controversy per se. I think it's a conversation. One item that you have to keep an eye on is that Huso is 6-0 and with a 945 save percentage and a 1.74 GAA at home. And the Blues are coming home, and they don't play a ton of back-to-backs. My guess would be that Bennington will get the start Friday night in Seattle. Then you have a back-to-back on the road the following Sunday and Monday, Vancouver and Calgary. So each will get a start then. But then towards the end of the month, 27th, 29th, and 30th, three home games. I I wonder if Huso gets that start against Calgary at home, and then again you, you split the back-to-back games between the two. My guess would be that because of his incredible success at home, that you'll see Ville Husso getting those starts. And then you head into February where you hardly have any games scheduled at the moment. We're getting a ton of texts, Randy. Let's would you like to hear some? A lot of people with differing opinions on this, which I guess is why it's a controversy, mm-hmm. right? From the 618, there absolutely should be a goalie controversy. All I ever hear is that the defense plays better in front of Huso compared to Bennington. You know, sometimes the goalie can make the defense look bad as well. There's nothing better than the eye test, and this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Go with Ville Huso. The contract for Bennington is going to play, and... I, I'm with you. I don't think you make Huso your number one goalie and cast Jordan Bennington aside. But right now, I have no problem, especially with those home games and that home record that Ville Huso has, with giving him the preponderance of the home games. From the 314, Huso was supposed to be the next goalie before he got hurt in 2019 and Bennington ascended. This is mm-hmm. no surprise, ride the hot goalie. The Blues did evaluate Ville Husso as a number one goalie, more so than Jordan Binnington. But Jordan Binnington did win a Stanley Cup. He did win four playoff series for you. And, Michelle, we mentioned this yesterday, that every time you talk to a hockey person, nobody's worried about Jordan Binnington. Which is something that I take into account. I Obviously, they're looking at this with different eyes than we are. They're looking at this with a lot more intricacy and nuance than mm-hmm. we are. And if they're looking at Jordan Bennington's for p- performance and it's beyond just the stat sheet and they don't think there's anything wrong with him, that's something that I, I weigh very heavily when I look at this situation. Yeah, as we go back to a, an earlier segment. We are a conduit to the fans. And part of that is asking people that played in the NHL, are you concerned about the guy? And I've talked to more than a dozen people. And 100% of them say, no, I'm not worried about Jordan Biddington. 100%.
I haven't had one off the record. Just uh, having a, a BS, you know, holding a couple of beers conversation. I haven't had one person say, yeah, they should be playing Huso all the time. Which is incredibly rare, by the way. Like yeah. any, any Everybody sports conversation off the record is never 100%. No. And it's that's the way it is with people in our town that have played in the NHL, that have goaltended in the NHL, uh, about this goalie situation right now. And by the way, that's not an affront by any means to Ville Husso. It's just the level of confidence that Jordan Binnington has earned from people associated with the with the hockey club. From the 636, Jordan Binnington always has clunkers in the playoff run. He had one to two a, ser- a series, but he has a higher ceiling. Well, that ceiling was the first period in Boston, right? And yes. if you don't have Jordan Binnington, you know, well, you don't win the Stanley Cup. But even if you get to game seven, and Jordan Binnington isn't otherworldly in that first period against the Bruins, then you lose game seven to the Bruins. You want one more? Yeah. From the 636, it seems to me that the Blues defense plays tighter for Huso than they do for Binner, probably because Huso's perceived as needing more help. Binner's success might have led to a softer D in front of him. Of course, this doesn't explain Binner's softy goals allowed. Those are too many, but we need to look at the defense in front of him. And at the end of the day, that comment about the soft goals is the most salient point. The, the winning goal by Toronto the mm-hmm. other night. Shouldn't have happened. No, we, we can pick out three or four goals key goals that you could perceive as soft that Bennington has allowed this year. And he's got to tighten that up, but can he? Has he? Yes. And he he knows that he has to play better, but he's not going to get better unless he gets the opportunity to play better. And the Blues want him to because they're giving him starting this year 36 million over the next 6 years. And a lot of people texting in saying they think Jordan Bennington needs the controversy that he needs the conflict. I don't disagree with that. I don't either. So that's that's why I want to take a step back, let him show us that he can be the guy that we've seen mm-hmm. him be. This is this is when you're supposed to thrive when the pressure is on. So let's see you do it. That's today's fresh take. Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN coming up. We're going to talk to Hall of Famer Bernie Federico as we head into the Blues booth. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and into the Blues booth. And our friend, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, kind enough to join us, as he does every hump day on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. How about you guys? Everything's great. You were involved with the Chris Pronger number retirement ceremony on Monday night. You've been involved with a few of those. And how do you think the Blues did? Did you have fun with it? It was. It was very nice. You know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's for Chris, obviously. I mean, uh, very deserving. And uh, I thought the uh, what he had to say was fantastic, what Al had to say. And I, I thought the crowd response was, was absolutely fantastic. So it, it was a great night. And, and the, the game that followed, uh, about uh, 55 minutes of the game was fantastic. <laughs> I want to, yeah, right, exactly. I, I want to know from your perspective, you're an incredibly humble individual with all of the accolades, the Hall of Fame, and having your number. Do you ever, when you walk into Enterprise Center, look up at your number? Uh, occasionally I do. Uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, obviously when you're looking around in the building, I mean, it's, it's, it's still very flattering to, to, uh, 
you know, realize that uh, no one else is going to wear number 24 again. And, uh, you know, you, you come in uh, to the league as, as a, as a player that's given a number. And then all of a sudden if you leave and that's your number, it's, it's, it's pretty special. You don't ever expect that. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's it very, it's very humbling each and every time I do see it. And by the way, for those that aren't aware of it, and I believe it's in your book, 24 was not your first choice, was it? Well, no, not really. I played, I, well, in those days, you really didn't have a choice. They didn't really give you a choice. But, I mean, I, I wore junior, uh, number 15 in junior and, you know, had a lot of success with it. So I was hoping that I would be able to get 15. But when I, you know, got the opportunity to, you know, get called up, uh, Floyd Thompson was wearing 15. So I certainly wasn't going to ask him to, to change his number. Why, why would I do that? <laughs> they gave me, actually, they gave me the first time I got called up, I actually wore number 14. Oh. Um, when I when I got called up and I played well, we played the one game in Colorado, um, and I actually sat on the bench in Vancouver. We didn't get a ship, so we didn't get included in the game at all. Uh, didn't get credit for it. But when I did get called up in February the second time, then they gave us me twenty four. And I don't know why they changed or whatever it is, but I, I wasn't going to complain. I got what, <laughs> what I was and was very satisfied with it. So that's kind of the way it worked out. Absolutely. Well, Bernie, a lot of things to talk about in that game versus Nashville, but the one that everyone seems to be talking about is another strong performance from Billy Huso. Do you think that he deserves more starts? Well, I don't know if the word de- deserving is there, uh, Michelle, to be honest with you. I mean, he is a, the backup goaltender on this team, and he is a very good goaltender. So, you know what, um, that's something that, that Craig will have to decide what he wants to do. I mean, you don't want to burn out your number one goaltender, and I think that we all know that uh, – uh, Jordan Biddington has proven uh, that he is the number one goaltender in the National Hockey League. I mean, he won a cup for the Blues back in 2019. has been very, very steady. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, uh, you'll probably see Billy getting more starts because, uh, you know, it's still a long season. Uh, it's a spread-out season, and, uh, you know, he deserves to do that. But, I mean, I think the one thing that we can always say is that, I mean, look, at Charlie Lindred played, played five games, and he won all five of them. So, I mean, this is a pretty good team that is playing in front of them, and the, the goaltending has been very, very solid, and uh, especially early in the games because I, I, the Blues, for whatever reason, have not started out well. We, we saw that again the other night uh, against Nashville. I mean, they were not very good the first 10 minutes of the game, and then all of a sudden, you know, Billy had to come up with a number of good saves before – they seem to get it going, but uh, uh, I can never say anything bad about this goaltending. It's been absolutely outstanding, and I, I would expect that we'll probably see Billy get more starts, and you want to get both goaltenders ready when the playoff come times around. Bernie, it seems like it would be a natural reaction of players that are playing in front of a goalie to play differently sometimes. When you have Mike Liute making every save, you can do things a little bit differently, maybe take a few more chances in front of a Mike Liute than somebody who's not Mike Liute. Do you sense that that happens from a player's perspective? Maybe you you concentrate a little bit more on defense with one goalie rather than another? Uh, yeah, I think you do, Randy. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, with with the way the, the, this team, you know, they know, they know they can score goals. I mean, I think that's the one thing that they, they really uh, have no uh, problem thinking that, hey, if, if we give up a couple of goals, we're going to get them back because, I mean, I, this team can really score. But, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that we always played uh, when we got our backup goaltender and we knew that we had to play a little more defensive style of hockey and because you know that when when Ludi was in for us he was going to make the big saves when we needed anyway so you could maybe relax and and maybe take some more chances and I don't think that's a good habit to get into but I think there that, that probably on this team there is a little bit of that that you know when Jordan's in there they're they're pretty loose and relaxed they know they're going to get a big save and I, and I think right now that 
they feel that same confidence with with uh, you know Billy Huso because of the way he's played as well. So uh, I think it's a, a a bad habit to get into though, but but it certainly is a a nice thing to have in the back of your mind that if you make a mistake, that you're going to get a big uh, save from your goaltender anyway. Bernie, I want to go back to what you said about the Blues having slow starts at times. You know, they had another come-from-behind win in that game versus Nashville. It's the 14th of the season, tops in the NHL. So it looks at it's something that we are aware of but not necessarily concerned about because the Blues find a way to come from behind and get get it done. But should that be something that as we get closer towards the playoffs that we look at as an area of improvement for the Blues? Absolutely. I mean, it's something that I'm sure that Craig is already talking about. I'm sure the guys talk about it in the locker room about – uh, getting a much better start. But, you know, I think if you go back to, to the game on Monday, uh, I think that, you know, that ceremony, the guys were all on the bench listening. I mean, the guys have a routine that they go through each and every night, you know, whether it's kicking the soccer ball around and doing their little uh, games there. Some of the guys are out there stretching or doing whatever they're doing. So I think that was a, maybe the routine got uh, messed up a little bit because they're all sitting there watching the uh, um, you know, the ceremony and, 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 you know, when the game started, I don't know if they were ready and because they weren't really in their routine, but uh, certainly it's, it's a, it's something you don't want to have. You don't want to play from behind in this league. I mean, teams are are so good. And, and I think as you get into playoff hockey, the checking becomes a lot tighter. And then if you fall behind, I think it's going to be much more difficult to come back and, and, you know, get those goals and win the game. So I, I think that it is, I don't say it's concerning right now, but it's something I, I'm sure that they're going to work on and make sure that they, uh, that they have to be better to start games because they can't keep falling behind. Bernie, I'm interested. What was your pregame routine? Uh, you know, not much. I mean, I, I I did some stretching, a little bit of stretching, and and really, I just kind of you know got into a quiet place and did a little you know bit of maybe meditating more than anything else. I wasn't really into you know some of the things that you know you we've, we've seen Ryan O'Reilly do and some of the guys with the soccer and this and that. Um, you know, we weren't into that, but that was just something that came in, you know, after I was done with the soccer ball and stuff, but, uh, I didn't do much. I was just, you know, drank a cup of coffee uh, you know, uh, and just got mentally ready to play. I mean, physically you're always ready because of, uh, you know, the practices that you go through. So it was, it was more of a mental thing for me. Hey Bernie, one more thing from me. The next time we see the blues and after their game on Saturday night at Vancouver, that'll be the midpoint of the season. Do you feel like they have an established identity, and if so, what what do you think the identity is of this Blues team at the midpoint of this season? Boy, Randy, you know what? I don't know if they really have established that identity yet because of the all the COVID and all the injuries mm-hmm. that they've had. There have been so many people in the lineup, in and out of the lineup, people with the goaltending in this, that I don't know if we can say that they've really established an identity, but I, I, I certainly like the depth of this hockey club. We've been talking about that from the beginning of the season. I mean, uh, this team can score goals, and we're seeing it from, you know, four lines. I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen a team that, uh, for the Blues, that have had this kind of depth through maybe, you know, three and a half, almost four lines. It seems that everybody can score and everybody can get the job done. So, I mean, I think if that's going to be the identity, I think it's pretty exciting to watch. Uh, uh, you know, I think that there's things that they have obviously have to work on, um, you know, on the, the defensive side of things. But, I mean, the power play is great. I think the penalty killing has been you know, much better than it was uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And the power play, when you're in the top couple of t- teams in the power play, you're in the top five penalty killing. I mean, special teams are awful good. So, I mean, I think they're establishing this. And it's really funny is that when you look at the standings, um, there's four or five teams in the Central that are right there still in. I mean, you'd think that the Blues, as many games as they've won here at home in, in a row, and, and, you know, what the first loss against Toronto, you'd think that they'd be running away with the division, but they're not. So, 
uh, I think there's still an identity that still has to happen. And, and, but I like, you know, no matter what the identity is going to be, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive uh, how they're scoring goals and, and, and uh, winning games. Bernie Federico, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We'll be tuned in to you for the late games this weekend on Ballet Sports. Thanks, Randy, Michelle. You guys have a great week, too. Take care. That is the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, on 101 ESPN. By the way, the Blues are second in the West in goal differential, which is a big thing. And it's kind of different this year because so many teams have played different amounts of games due to COVID and because of the way the schedule is set up. Carolina leads the league at plus 45. Florida's at plus 43. Then you have Colorado leading the West at plus 41, and then the Blues and the Maple Leafs are both at plus 30. Sometimes that's a better reflection of the quality of a team than even their record. And like Bernie said, they can score, and once they get their goaltending situation settled, they're going to be dominant. They're they're a team that, if they don't make the playoffs after everything they've been through, it'll be an upset. I'll be shocked if they don't make the playoffs. I, I, I will too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's 8.35 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we have quite the fight on deck today. Dustin has beaten Randy twice in a row, which means today is his third chance at the fight. And if Dustin wins today, he goes into the Hall of Fame. We could have our first Hall of Famer in 2020, and it is a very rarefied air. Only a few people have ever been inducted into the fight at Hall of Fame. So, Dustin, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy with your chance at the Hall of Fame on the line? Yeah, I'm ready. You sound so enthused, Dustin. I mean, I, I just can't handle it. <laughs> okay, question number one. Bernie Federico played exactly 1,000 games in his NHL career. And what year did he make his NHL debut as a Blue? Was it 1974, 1976, or 1978? Um, 74, 76, 78. Uh, I'm going to say 76. Question number two. David Perron had a total of 16 points in the 2019 playoffs. Against which team did Perron have the most points that postseason? Was it the Winnipeg Jets, the Dallas Stars, or the San Jose Sharks? Um, I believe it was the Dallas Stars. Question number three for Dustin. It took WWE superstar Randy Orton and our guest at at 9 o'clock how many years to become the youngest world heavyweight champion in WWE history? Was it two, three, or four? Um, I don't really know WWE, but I'm just going to go with two. I'm sorry, you cut out there, Dustin. What was that? Uh, I'm going to go with two. Two, okay. And finally, Xavier Scruggs, who's our guest at 930, played for both the Cardinals and the Marlins. But which team drafted him in 2005? Was it the Boston Red Sox, the Seattle Mariners, or the Tampa Bay Rays? Um, 
the Seattle Mariners. Okay, let's check our score here. Yep, confirmed. Waving in Randy. Dustin, do you feel like you did enough to win? I'm not really too sure. I, I'm not really, I don't know really anything about WWE, so that was not a good one. I know, that's a tough one. Randy has his headset on. Please say good morning to Dustin. Dustin, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. No Hall, Hall of Fame on the line today, Randy. All right. So just letting you know. Love it. Are you ready? Ready. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Bernie Federko played exactly 1,000 games in his NHL career. In what career did he make his NHL? Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. And what year did he make his NHL debut as a Blue? I believe Bernie and Brian Sutter, first and second round draft choices, in 1976 made their debuts in 1976. David Prawn, who's our guest next segment, mm-hmm. had a total of 16 points in the 2019 playoffs. Mm-hmm. Against which team did Perron have the most points that postseason? 16 points. Uh, let's see. I will go with, let's see, he was playing on that line with O'Reilly, and O'Reilly did have the big finals. O'Reilly got hurt against Winnipeg. Uh, so I'm just tying this to Ryan O'Reilly, basically. Uh, and, and I'm going to say that uh, he had his most points in the finals against Boston. It took WWE superstar Randy Orton how many years to become the youngest world heavyweight champion in WWE history? Okay, so he became the youngest. Uh, so I will... Hmm, I'll, I'll do, I really have no idea, so I'm going to do the lifeline here. Sure. Two, three, or four? I'll just go in the middle and say three. And finally, mm-hmm. Xavier Scruggs played for both the Cardinals and the Marlins, but which team drafted him in 2005? Oh, five. It seems, so he played for the Cardinals and the Marlins. It seems like, and I don't know if they drafted him, but it seems like he played in the Seattle organization before the Cardinals got him, but I don't know if he played for anybody else before that. But I will go, just because it seems like he did, I'll go with the Mariners. Did Dustin do it? Is he now a Hall of Famer? Grant, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Dustin, you did it. Congratulations. Three victories in a row. You're officially our first Fight Hall of Famer for 2022. Thank you. I do have one thing. Uh, I feel like Randy would like if I did this. Okay, go ahead. Trying to get it. Just win, baby. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Good I job. love it. I love it. Randy, how do you feel? I feel great. Dustin took your he took your game and he used it against you with the yeah, just that, win. That's awesome. All right. Well, Dustin, you're a Hall of Famer, which means you're coming back tomorrow to hopefully extend your streak, but you have to take the fight tomorrow, Randy style, which means you get one lifeline, no options. Are you in? Yeah, I'm in. All right, awesome. Well, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Dustin. Thank you.
first Hall of Famer, 2022. See, this Let's is, hear the answers. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. I was so excited about the Hall of Fame, I forgot to give the answers. Okay, so Bernie Federko made his NHL debut as a Blue in 1976. The team that David Perron had the most points against in that 2019 postseason was the San Jose Sharks, seven points against okay. the Sharks, seven of his 16 total points in that playoffs. It took Randy Orton only two years to become the, oh, Randy Orton. the youngest world heavyweight champion in WWE history. That's impressive. And Xavier Scruggs played for the Cardinals and the Marlins, but he was drafted by the Seattle Mariners in 2005. So Dustin just edged you out, Randy, three to two. He got you on the Randy Orton question. I should have known. I know. So we'll do better next time. Tomorrow, he's got to take the fight Randy style, though, which is much harder. Much harder. We'll see how he does tomorrow. Coming up next, we're going to talk to David Perron of the Blues. With the Blues getting ready to go to Seattle for the first time, David's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Joins Carriker and Smallman right now. Karate scores on 101 ESPN. Driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and David Perrond does join us here on 101 ESPN, your home of the Blues. They get ready to take on the Seattle Kraken in Seattle on Friday night. Good morning, Mr. Perron. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Everything's good. Okay, so you played for the expansion Vegas Golden Knights, so you didn't get the opportunity that you're going to get on Friday to go into a town for their first time because you were playing the home games with Vegas. What sort of excitement level is there for you to have that new NHL experience that you've never had before? Yeah, no, it's awesome. I think we're all looking forward to it, all excited uh, to get to a new city, uh, just like I guess we were. Um, playing every team when I, when I was in Vegas, like uh, anytime you get to, there's uh, something new in the league, you want to be part of it. And uh, I think that's a pretty cool experience for us to, to get to play against all 32 uh, teams now in the league. And uh, we, we only hear good things about the city there. David, another impressive victory for your team on Monday. Another come-from-behind victory. You guys lead the league with 14 this season. And I remember back in 2019 when you guys were going on your run, I believe it was Ryan O'Reilly that said, there's no panic in here. And it feels like this team has that in their DNA, too, that no matter the circumstances or the deficit, you guys never panic. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think you look at our lineup, we're pretty deep, and that's uh, probably a, a huge part of it. Uh, there's many ways we can score, and uh, I think we've shown that at times uh, over the last little while. So it's definitely been pretty impressive, pretty, pretty fun to be a part of. And, uh, I mean, I, I still think we can play uh, better. I still think we can improve on a lot of uh, aspects of our game. But at the same time, there's a lot of really solid blocks that we can uh, build with, and that's great. What aspects of your game would you like to see your team improve upon? Well, I, I just think I, overall, I think we can play a little bit more heavy. I think in the old zone, I think we can get our forecheck going uh, even more than we have. Uh, but I, I mean, having said that, we've uh, we scored on so many of our opportunities, so it's not like almost like we've we've had to do it as much. But I think coming down the stretch here, when games get tighter, the scores uh, you don't score five, six goals a night. It's probably going to be more two-one games, and I think that's when these aspects will be even more key for our success. And, 
Uh, I mean, I think we're going to learn as we go too. I think we our, our lineups been a lot obviously different uh, with Tomer and Caruin getting uh, bigger opportunities and changes a lot of things. So, uh, and they do a really good job on the rush um, game uh, coming into the ozone with a lot of speed. Uh, so I think it's up to the other guys to to kind of step up in that area as well and, and help out that way. By the way, David, you talk about the young guys. I didn't realize what. Pavel Buchnevich was when the Blues got him. You guys don't see the East a lot. We didn't see the Rangers a lot. Has anything about his game or his ability surprised you? Yeah, well, you're right. We haven't played them in almost two years uh, before uh, this year that we'll go to New York again. So uh, quite a bit different. Uh, I mean, I, I think everyone is patient. is how smart he is with the puck. Uh, making little plays uh, that, that keeps the play uh, moving, basically. And He's shown a lot of poise. I think everyone's been impressed with that. I think he's a good all-around uh, offensive player. Uh, just a uh, pretty good shot as well. So, yeah, I mean, he's been clicking also when he plays with Vladi, when he plays with Barbie. Uh, he's, he's had some, some good chemistry with them, and um, it's awesome that, that we see, I think, on the on the power play too. Playing with Tomer, playing with uh, Kairou, uh, he's done a good job supporting them, uh, making uh, good little plays, and that uh, he's scored some important goals for us. Speaking of Barbie, Barbie David, another strong performance for him on Monday night. He's been having a great year. What sort of growth have you seen in his yeah. game and of him as a player from last season to this season? Uh, well, more ice time. That changes a lot of things. <laughs> I, I think last year, um, we uh, Orion and I played with him uh, a bit, and we loved playing with him. I think we, we had a good run there for like five, six games, and then I think he got hurt or something happened. Um, and, and then kind of things happen in, in hockey where uh, lineup changes every like five, ten games or so it seems like. And um, so I think he's been patient. Uh, just uh, that's that's where you got to be. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. You got to be a little bit, a little bit patient for a few games, uh, five, ten game segments, and uh, things will come around. And I think for him, uh, he's done that. He's done a good job with his opportunity this year. David, as you know, we as fans are prisoners of the moment. So we watch the success that Ville Husso has had lately. And a lot of fans, a lot of media, it's been a discussion this morning uh, about the Blues goaltending situation. You guys have a very mature veteran team. How does a mature veteran team handle a hot goalie and a Stanley Cup champion goalie that has struggled a little bit in a dressing room? Yeah, well, I don't think that we see it that way as far as teammates. Uh, we just see it that uh, he's another guy in the room that we have to support. And at times it's it's not been anyone's fault other than the players in front of him that, that didn't um, shut down uh, a grade-A chance as good as we'd like. And we always look at that stuff. Uh, we never, I never really look uh, going to a game or after a game saying, look at a goal, say, oh, the goalies have saved us. It's kind of like, what could we have done before? Um to uh, to prevent that chance, basically, and I think each each and every guy in the room is looking at it a, a very similar way. And obviously, we're happy for Billy. He's played some really good hockey. And uh, we, again, I, I think with Benner, if if people feel that way, uh, just buying buying some time, buying him a couple weeks, so he can kind of gather himself, uh, get some confidence going again. And that's what it's all about. Uh, when you get a chance to, to get your confidence going again, uh, nothing's going to stop him. We've seen him before. And David, it's interesting. We had Bernie Federko on earlier this morning, and I asked him about playing differently in front of other goalies. When you have a guy that has done for your team what Jordan Binnington has done and made the saves that he's made, it seems natural to me that you're going to maybe take some chances that you wouldn't take with another goalie and allow some grade-A chances that the other goalie might not see. Well, I mean, I touched on it before, too, uh, 
when Michelle asked the question, what we can do better, I think that's part of what can help everything. If you if you play longer in the ozone, if you play um, heavier and the other team doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the time uh, to, to go the other way, yeah, you, you at times, like, we, we've had so many good rush chances, uh, but I also think it, it's um, – it's 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 an, uh, a time that can go the other other way really quickly on you. You can allow a lot more playing that game versus playing heavier in the O's on all that stuff. So, I think that's part of it. I think as we go deep down the stretch here, we're going to have to 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 play more that way, and that's going to allow us to to play even better uh, team defense. David, it was a special night at Enterprise Center on Monday honoring Chris Pronger as his number went into the rafters. He gave your team a speech before pregame. And one thing that he said really popped out at me. He said, have fun. It goes fast. And I kind of thought of you because here you are. You've been in the league since 2007. Can you believe that you've been at this for 15 years now? Um, I mean, yes and no. And definitely when you hear those speeches, uh, you you do go into a game. uh, It it hits home even more. You're right. Like every single day going to the ring. Um, kind of having a little bit of a tougher stretch right now myself, but it, it kind of puts things in perspective. You go back there with a smile on your face, enjoying every single moment, and um, keep pushing. You got to keep pushing, keep getting better, and definitely those guys um, having uh, Keith Kachuk, having uh, Prongs uh, say those type, those type of things is, is huge. A um, couple of us met up with with him also uh, after the game, kind of congratulate him things like that so um, definitely uh, it's great having those influences around yourself around the city I think fans are I don't know if uh, people in St. Louis realize how how lucky uh, that we are I guess you you got Wayne Gretzky in town you got Keith Chuck Al McInnes Bronger I mean you're talking about like some of the better players that ever played the game and they they choose the same St. Louis uh, I mean it's a credit to the people here they treat people everything so um, I, I'm just another guy that uh, really enjoy the city as well and want to keep it going as long as possible. Hey, David, before we let you go, it's amazing how in this conference and specifically in this division, the other teams always seem to win. When you guys aren't playing, uh, you wake up in the morning and the other teams always won. How much attention do you pay to what the other teams are doing when you aren't playing them? Or do you just kind of yeah. put your head down and, and do your thing? Yeah, I think uh, it's still the time of the year. Uh a little bit of the dog days of the season between game 30 to 50, it's kind of like you don't really see the end of it just yet. And then once you get past like halfway point um, in, in two or three games, and then you get towards game 50, and now like you, you kind of see the end of the season coming. You kind of see how you have to build your game, how your team's uh, playing out. Um, so at this point for me, I don't really look at, at other teams, other stand, the, the standing too much. I think it's something that we're aware of, but uh, maybe when you get to 65, 70 game, um, you know, all points are even more crucial at that time. And I also think that's why games are getting tighter. I think uh, coaches don't accept mistakes the same way that they do early in the part of the season like we are right now because, you know, how crucial that, that turnover can be to, to lose a point one way or the other. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that time of the year. I think it's it's more my game definitely to, to play those those moments, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. David Perron, you're always great. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good trip. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. See you later. That's Blues Forward, David Perron. He is terrific, and it's great to have him with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, coming up, St. Louis and pro wrestler Randy Orton, going to be in town for the Royal Rumble. He is next on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
902 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Randy Orton is scheduled to join us momentarily. Michelle, wanted to get this out there. John Heyman just tweeting, the Players Union is preparing a response to MLB's recent proposal to be delivered within days. MLB made an offer to curtail service time manipulation and take tanking and pay players with two-plus years' time more. Players were disappointed with the biggest issues, that the biggest issues weren't addressed. And so now, according to John Heyman, the union is coming back with a response to MLB's last week proposal. Good. I like there. There's some traction happening here. Great. Yeah. Even so. if they don't get it settled here soon, the fact that movement is happening is a positive. Yeah. It's anytime you're communicating, regardless of whether or not you're making progress, at least you're, you're talking and that hopefully can spur further conversation. Yeah, that means your intention is to get it done. Yeah. All right. You uh, have a question for me, is it you said? I do. So Randy Orton is going to join us here in a minute. And obviously he's uh, a St. Louisan, but the mm-hmm. WWE Royal Rumble is coming to town this weekend. Uh, it's going to be live from the Dome at America Center, an unbelievable event. So this is a, a home game for Randy Orton yeah. in a lot of ways, right? So what do you do, Randy Carricker, if you're in that scenario? If a lot of fellow wrestlers are coming into town, do you give them the tips on where the best things in town are to do? Or do you withhold all of those secrets so that they may have a miserable time here and be off their game come Saturday at America Center? You know what I'm going to do? Um, Friday night, I hope everybody's in town. Those guys travel so much, and I think they have probably a Friday night show. I'm going to give them tips, but if everybody's here, because this is a big event, Royal Huge. Rumble, if everybody's in town on Friday, I'm inviting everybody to my house for dinner. Get a get, Have a catered dinner at my place. So you're going to pass, pass potatoes to somebody who could slam you in the ring the next day? Yeah, it, it happens all the time. It happens uh, like when um, Dan Deroff would, uh, when Washington would, or once... For example, let's uh, Conrad Dobler. Conrad mm-hmm. Dobler would play here in St. Louis when Dan Deardorff was still playing. And New Orleans would come into town. Dan would have Conrad over to his house for dinner. And they were they were fine. I think you can separate. Like David Perron was talking about, how often do hockey players get together the night before a game? Petro had all the Blues players out to his house last year, right? The night before a game. Yeah, uh, and there may be some tough checks in there, but they're not slamming chairs over the back of your head oh i know but that's gonna happen that's that's a given but at the end of the night it's kind of like tough guys in the nhl they would always have a real battle twister chaser or whomever and then inevitably it it would be the tough guys that would get together for a beer after the game it's a respect factor it really is yeah yeah and i hope it i, I would think that all the other wrestlers under understand that when randy orton enters the ring on the 29th he is going to get a thunderous ovation because he's one of our guys, right? When Kurt Warner came back, one of our guys. When uh, when David Freeze steps to the plate, one of our guys. It's just the way it is with our guys. We're I think we're the most our guy market in the country. That it's oh, not yeah. as much about the laundry as it is about the guy. It's about both. And it just so happens that we've had our guys have some of the biggest moments right. in our town sports history, which is pretty rare. Um, but, yeah, we are very much our guy. Yep. We do protect our own. We're very parochial in that way. And that's why Randy Orton is going to have such a fun time here at the Royal Rumble on 
January 29th. Tickets are still available, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line right now. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Randy Orton, thank you very much for joining us. It'll be great to have you performing here in St. Louis on the 29th. How you doing? I'm very good, thank you. You guys doing okay this morning? Everything's going great. And we were just talking about how in St. Louis, and you know growing up here, we love our guys. So how excited are you to be able to perform in this venue, being at the Dome before such a massive crowd? Oh, it's it's going to be insane. And, and let me tell you, after uh, not having the fans around for so long, and, and only recently able to, uh, you know, have these houses packed again uh, makes it even more sweet. And then, of course, being in my hometown, having my friends and family sitting front row, you know, having my kids there watching their dad live on TV. It's 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 an awesome feeling. The older I get, the more I appreciate this awesome uh, career that I've had and, and the blessing of, of being able to perform uh, like I do in the ring. Randy, you're right. It is a performance and I never even thought about wrestling when it comes to not having fans there because every sport really relies on the crowd, but you more so than ever really rely on the crowd energy and playing to the crowd. So what was that like? Oh, you're, you're, you hit it on the, uh, the head. It's, it's, the fans are more part of the show than us sometimes. And, and that's, that's quite a statement, but it is very true. I think more so than any other sport, um, the interaction that the fans at home get to see even um, between the wrestlers and the fans in the building, you know, there's, you can't fake that. You know, we had the video wall, the video screens. I believe Vince McMahon had the most uh, video screens, in the audience than, than any other organization that was doing any kind of live entertainment on TV, you know, go big or go home. Um, so that was cool. The, uh, the WWE Thunderdome that we were doing down in Florida, that was cool. It was different, but man, when we had that first show back live in front of fans, it was electric and it made everybody, you know, just go, wow, we ain't never taken the fans <laughs> for granted again. Randy Orton, star of Monday Night Raw and a multiple-time WWE champion. You've held every major championship in WWE. Is there one that you're more proud of than the others? You know, they're, they're all I'm, – I'm proud of all of them. I was uh, Intercontinental Champion when I was 23, uh, and then the youngest WWE World Heavyweight Champion when I was 24. That record still holds today. Uh, so I think the – that uh, being the youngest champ, heavyweight champ ever, that, that that title definitely holds a special place in my heart. But uh, the elusive universal championship, uh, that's the one title I haven't gotten my hands on. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking to secure that belt around my waist before my career is all said and done. But as far as the Royal Rumble is concerned, this will be my 18th performance at the Royal Rumble. And if I win this bad boy in St. Louis uh, coming up, I'll be only the second wrestler in WWE history to have won three Royal Rumbles. It'd be me and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'd be in pretty good company there. So as good a company as there is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And obviously, Randy, you always want to win. But is there a little bit of added pressure for you personally to get it done in front of your home crowd? 
you know, there definitely is pressure, but uh, we're so used to that. Performing in that ring live every week, you know, every night sometimes. Some weeks the schedule gets pretty hectic. Um, but that that energy, those nerves, that adrenaline, you know, we bottle it up and, and turn it into a positive and give it right back to the fans. And I think that's what makes our uh, events so spectacular is just we, we match energy and, and – our crowds are as energetic as any crowd I've ever seen. Randy Orton is going to be performing here in St. Louis January 29th at the Royal Rumble at the Dome at America Center. Hey, Randy, I want to ask you this question. Uh, Joe Buck is a good friend, and obviously people always ask, and you grew up here, so you know. Uh, Joe gets asked all the time about his dad. How often do people come up to you and say, I watched your dad wrestle and wrestling at the Chase every Sunday morning? Oh, man, just the other day, I, I think I was getting gas at a mobile station by the house, and somebody, hey, are you Randy Orton? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I used to watch your dad, man. I grew up going down to the chase and watching wrestling every every week. And I, all the time, man, the, 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 the history that uh, the chase uh, has here in St. Louis and, and the, the ties with the Orton name and my family, like, it's, it's so cool to be a part of that. And, you know, I'm 41 years old now, and I still live here. I'm a Midwestern boy at heart, and I love this place. I'll be here till I die. Randy, I want to ask you about people coming up to you because obviously you're one of the most popular superstars in WWE history and wrestling fans are diehards, but you're kind of an intimidating guy. So I'm, I'm curious how often you do get approached or if people see you and they, they acknowledge that it's you and maybe glance over, but they're too intimidated to come up to you. Well, you you are definitely correct. Wrestling fans are quite diehard. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think uh, – it's a timing thing. People get excited, and, and if I'm out eating with my family and the kids, you know, maybe that's not the right time to come and plop down next to me and strike up a conversation about wrestling. But I think <laughs> if, if people if people use common sense, I'm approachable in, in every shape and form. Um, I think it just comes down to uh, respect. You know, I'll respect you if you respect me. So. Any fans out there that live in the St. Louis area, you see me pumping gas at a mobile or anything like that, come up, you know, uh, uh, keep your six feet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shake my hand, give me a hug, say hi, high five, you know, whatever. But I, I, I appreciate my fans. And, uh, you know, if I if you did run into me and it wasn't you know, the right time, I apologize to anyone out there if I was a little bit of an ass. <laughs> no, don't, don't worry about that. Hey, a couple more quick things. Number one, Michelle and I were wondering if everybody, because this is a big event, if everybody's in town on Friday night, the 28th, do you have the other wrestlers out to the house? Do you give them tips on where to go to in St. Louis? Because you are a St. Louis guy. How does that work with you and the other wrestlers? You know, um, we, we're pretty busy after the show. I, and I'm not even sure what city we're going to for Raw the next day. Um, but, uh, we'll be looking to get into something now, since I live here and I've got five kids and I keep pretty busy when I am home, I'll probably call in it early that night and going in and sleeping in my own bed and enjoying that. But, uh, if I was a little younger, I would definitely find something to get into. And, and I think raw is in Cincinnati after the Royal rumble, if, uh, it serves me correctly. So, 
I think I can get there if I drive really quick the following Monday morning. <laughs> okay. Hey, one last thing, Randy, and you, you kind of touched on this. You won the Royal Rumble in 09. You won in 2017. We talked about the championships that you've won. But to win the Royal Rumble at the Dome would be a different animal altogether, it seems like, than anything else that you've won. Oh, my God. It, it would be uh, definitely a huge feather in my cap, man. Like I said, I win this bad boy one more time. You know, I'm, I, I've, I've made a few pages of the, the, the record books in the WWE uh, even recently, uh, which is kind of my thing, the longevity, the, the accolades. You know, I've, I want to be the guy that's been around, had held every title. I want to be that household name. And I, I just feel really, really blessed to be in this position, you know, I've definitely grown as a performer, but but I've grown as a human being as well too. And and I I, I see all the good that WWE does uh, around the world with Make a Wish and so many other organizations. Um, to be a part of this company and not just a wrestler for the WWE, you know, but to be able to touch kids' lives worldwide, um, that is a true blessing and probably one of the coolest things about the job. Tickets available at Ticketmaster, and you can register to win tickets to the Royal Rumble at 101ESPN.com or just download the 101 ESPN app. Can't wait to have you performing here in St. Louis in your hometown, Randy. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. We do appreciate it, and have a great day. Likewise. You guys take care. Thanks. That is the great Randy Orton, St. Louisan, and one of the great wrestlers of all time with us on 101 ESPN. The Dome is going to be going nuts. going to be rocking. For Randy Orton. It'll probably be... The hottest the Dome has been since 2003? Yeah, well, I was going to say the Battlehawks, but yes. Oh, yeah, the Battlehawks, yeah. But we didn't have full capacity at the, for the Battlehawks. Right, Hawks. we'll have full capacity It's going to be unbelievable, and I hope he he takes home the victory. Again, free tickets available at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 ESPN app. And if you want to lock some in today, just go to Ticketmaster. Thanks to Randy Orton for joining us. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Cardinal Major Leaguer Xavier Scruggs set to join us in just a few moments here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk about some of the Cardinal needs this offseason and about some of the best teams. The Buster-only list of best teams have the Cardinals at number nine. We'll ask Xavier Scruggs where he weighs in. He does have an interesting desire for his former team. We're going to ask him about that coming up in about 10 minutes. But right now it's time for... Randy, we know that Dak Prescott was in a little bit of hot water for some comments he made post-game after the Cowboys' exit from the playoffs. So there there was obviously a dramatic ending, and there was trash thrown on the field afterwards. The, the Cowboy fans not pleased with how the game ended after uh, the 49ers took home the victory. And a question was initially directed at, at Dak about the fans' behavior, and he thought that it was being the trash was being thrown at his teammates and said that that was sad. But then... When someone corrected and said, no, actually, I think that they were throwing things on the field and they were directed at the officials. He said, credit to them then, credit to them. And a lot of people gave Dak a hard time about this, said, that's not it. You know, you need to take responsibility for your team. 
and not encourage fans to throw things at the officials. So yesterday, Dak Prescott actually apologized. He posted uh, to 1.4 million followers on his social media. He tweeted this, uh, quote, I deeply regret the comments I made regarding the officials after the game on Sunday. I was caught up in the emotion of a disappointing loss and my words were uncalled for and unfair. I hold the NFL officials in the highest regard and have always respected their professionalism and the difficulty of their jobs. The safety of everyone who attends a game or participates on the field of a sporting event is a very serious matter. That was a mistake on my behalf, and I am sorry. When Dak Prescott made that comment, everybody in the room laughed. He was joking, and everybody in America needs to understand that there is such thing as funny. America has lost their sense of humor, and it's horrible to me that people don't want to laugh anymore. When he said credit to them, them then, I thought, funny. Uh, he, he shouldn't need to apologize. All he need, should have to say is, I was joking, people. Nobody wants stuff thrown at officials. Everybody that has a brain knows that. He shouldn't have to apologize. America should understand and we don't laugh anymore. We don't get senses of humor anymore. Everybody should understand that he was joking. He smiled when he said it. And also, I don't agree with the comments that he made, right? But I do understand that everyone in the room laughed. And also, I agree with what he said, that this was in the immediacy of a very huh. dramatic loss in the postseason for a team that had high expectations for themselves. I don't expect him to be his best self in that moment. You know, we... Right. we don't give people a lot of room for grace. You know? No, right. And I, I don't think that Dak Prescott is a guy that would ever uh, publicly say, yeah, yeah, throw stuff at officials in a normal setting. And he did the right thing by apologizing. Clearly, it wasn't his intent to actually encourage people to do that. So uh, hats off to him for apologizing. But he really had no other option no. but to apologize. Right. You know, because America can't, it, we can't take a joke anymore. That's, that's why. Because we can't handle humor. Because it's just, it's too difficult for us to handle. Why do you think that is? I think there are just so many uh, social justice warriors out there that everything, if it's funny and it's uncomfortable, it's got to be bad. And we need to apologize for things that make others uncomfortable. And we, we talked about it with a comedian last week about how good humor is uncomfortable, but people can't handle being uncomfortable. I also think that people are now more than ever, or maybe we're just aware of it more than ever because of social media, just inherently angry. And yeah, no matter what, no matter what is said, they want to look at it through an anger lens yeah. and take out their frustration on someone else. Right. And it's easy to do that behind a keyboard. My first inclination, and you know this, Michelle, because you get some of my texts, is to laugh at things that I think are funny, even though they might be a little bit off color at times. I, yes. I have things that I, I my, my first choice in life is to laugh. And I don't think that's the choice of a lot of people. My, my first choice is to laugh and be happy. I don't think that's the first choice of a lot of people. We also don't want to give people the benefit of the doubt anymore. No. With someone like Dak Prescott, who I believe was nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, who's who's yeah. been a, a relatively great guy as far as we're concerned, at least through the media lens or whatever. Um, no one wants to say, was that his intent? 
can we talk about the emotions at play here? Everybody just wants to jump yeah. on him and say, how dare he say that? Because it isn't the correct thing to do. Of course not. You never want to encourage fan behavior like that, especially when someone's safety is at play. But nobody wants to ever talk about the nuance involved in, in any situation anymore. It's no. either I'm on this side or I'm on that side. Yep. There's no in between. I got a great meme a couple of days ago, and it uh, really became apparent and fun on Monday, which was to have been Betty White's 100th birthday. And it's a picture of The Tackle by Mike Jones. And it's got Mike Jones and Kevin Dyson and The End Zone. And Mike Jones is listed as God. Kevin Dyson is listed as Betty White. And The End Zone is listed as 100 years old. Oh, yikes. Exceptionally funny. And everybody that I've shown it to loves it. But I'm, I guarantee you there's somebody that's going to be offended because they say, oh, well, she died. She died at 99 years and, what, nine tenths years old. She had a nice run. It's funny. She had a great life. I hope Betty somebody, I, I hope when I die that people can remember, do funny things and remember funny things. Doesn't have to be all serious. She would want us to laugh, right? Betty she, White would want us to laugh. Put that on your tombstone. It shouldn't all be serious. Yeah, yeah. Here lies Randy Carricker quote. It shouldn't, shouldn't all, all be, be serious. serious. Come on, people laugh. Laughing is good for the soul. It is. But when it comes to safety, that's why I think a lot of people jumped on Dak. But again, yeah. I don't think his intent was actually to encourage people to do that. I, I agree 100%. You're killing me, Smalls. So a lot of people now that the, the playoffs are going uh, full steam are looking at the teams that are out. And a lot of them have some quarterback decisions to make. We talked earlier about Mike Tomlin talking about life after Big Ben. But the Browns have an interesting decision to make about Baker Mayfield. So Jeremy Fowler sought information from ESPN, sought information from anonymous executives around the NFL. And this was an interesting little nugget about Cleveland and about Baker Mayfield, Randy. He said, at the end of the day, it's not a great fit. He'd be best in a shotgun, up-tempo offense like they have in Arizona, an NFL, an NFC executive said, excuse me. The Browns will get rid of the only good quarterback they've had in years and fall into the same traps of the past. Wow. That's interesting because... We think about Kevin Stefanski as a guy who's really adaptable mm -hmm. to the players that he has. I hadn't thought of it that way. I just don't think that Baker Mayfield's that great. I don't know if you put him in the right offense if he's going to be that great. The, the thing about Baker Mayfield and where he was picked in the draft, when you're mm -hmm. a number one overall pick, you're, ex you're expected to do what Joe Burrow's doing, right? You're expected to come in, transform your, uh, your franchise, and, and listen, he's got a lot of career ahead of him, Joe Burrow. But in the immediacy of that, this is what you expect to be cool under pressure, to, to make those around you better, to lead them to the playoffs. And I just think Baker has been a good quarterback for a long time and not necessarily a great one. But when you're picked where he was picked, the expectations for you are to be as good as Tom Brady or to be on a different tier right. of quarterback. Can you win with someone that's not a tier one quarterback? Sure you can. But is that what is going to be expected of Baker? No, he's going to be expected to be better than he is. And I just, I know it's not uh, the perfect scenario in Cleveland, but if I'm the Browns and I've been an organization that said so much ineptitude mm -hmm. and so much failure, I would just be a little nervous to walk away from somebody like Baker. Especially since he wasn't healthy this year. Right. After game one, he wasn't healthy. I, I agree with that. By the way, this was the fourth year for that draft class. Michelle, the four quarterbacks taken in the top 10 that year, Baker, number one, Sam Darnold, number three, Josh Allen, number seven, 
and Josh Rosen, number 10. So three of the four taken in the top 10 may not make their fifth year with the franchise. Gosh. So, and two of them are already gone. True. Amazing. And Josh Allen is going to be there in Buffalo for a long time, I think. I thought Josh Rosen was going to be the guy, man. I did too. And I'm really disappointed by what he's become. You talk about a victim of circumstances, too, though. He has not had one good circumstance in the NFL. No, he hasn't. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, we're going to talk some ball with Xavier Scruggs, former Cardinal on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and former Cardinal Xavier Scruggs, kind enough to join us on Carriker and Smallman with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Xavier, good to have you with us as always. How you doing? Hey, everything's good over here. Appreciate you guys having me on. Always happy to jump on with you guys. You guys are a lot of fun. Thank you. And we want you to tell us when spring training is going to start. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the magic crystal ball that I could tell everybody when spring training is going to start. Um, but honestly, I, 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 I'm hoping that there isn't a delay. Um, but, if, but if there is, I don't think it's going to be a huge problem because I think both sides understand that we can't afford to miss games this year. Well, Xavier, we're in St. Louis trying to cling to hope. We're trying to look towards the future. And we know that the DH is coming. And you actually tweeted this, that there's a, a guy a lot of people in St. Louis have their eye on, and you do too, and Kyle Schwarber. He would be a great fit for the Cardinals at that position. Why do you think that Kyle Schwarber would be the perfect guy for the Cardinals at DH? Oh, my goodness. He would be fit in so perfectly because one of the reasons – the Cardinals could use a left-handed power bat, right? It's a heavy right-handed lineup, especially when they come to power. Um, I look at Schwarber mixing in nicely because I think the approach, his dis more disciplined approach, swinging at a career low 23.3% pitches outside the zone last year, uh, shows his improvement to not only be a free swinger, to not no longer be a free swinger. He's going to get on base. He looks at maximizing opportunity even when he cannot always drive in the guys, right? He's going to take his uh, walk. He's going to be able to figure out ways to get on for the next guy. Um, and then he's going to hurt you. If a pitcher makes a mistake, he knows how to hurt you. And then the characteristics of him. I, I know him personally. Um, he's a guy that's all about the team first and foremost. We understand the Cardinals, um, you know, that, that Cardinal style is to more be focused around the team. There's not a big ego guy. So I think he fits in perfectly in there if, he, if there is a DH for the National League. Are you a DH guy? I am a DH guy. I uh, Originally, I wasn't for it, uh, if you asked me a couple years ago, because I love the National League style of play. I love the idea of the double switches. I love the idea of a manager really gets exposed if they don't know what they're – if they're not thinking three innings, four innings ahead. Um, so I love that style of uh, strategic movement in the National League game. But now I'm more along the lines of I'm tired of seeing these pitchers hit. Like it's almost a waste of, you know, 30 seconds to a minute of my life. I don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> I need to see the big banger swinging the bat. <laughs> 
I couldn't agree with you more. I'm I'm good on pitchers hitting, Xavier. <laughs> but I was looking at your, your Twitter feed, and you put out the top five in baseball, the top five players under 25. And it's an incredible list. So much talent. Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Vlad Guerrero Jr., Wando Franco. I mean, baseball really is riddled with a lot of exceptional and exciting and electric young talent. So how can the game do a better job of marketing these young stars so that the average sports fan is aware of the talent that they have yeah yeah i think i've I've thought about this a lot and i think it ultimately stems from both sides of the game right i think it stems from major league baseball um they are a step behind when it comes to other sports basketball football other international sports like soccer when it comes to marketing the players and i still think they're trying to figure out how to do that within a game that takes a long time right there's three hours almost four hour games how do we best market these players to a, a, a young generation who is bored after 15 to 30 seconds, right? So we got to figure out how to do that better and figure out how to really apply to this TikTok generation, this Reels generation. And I think it starts with the excitement of our game. Like you have to really find a way to really highlight the players that are doing some exciting things in our game, but also the players have to be willing to do the same thing, right? The players have to be willing to put themselves out there a little bit more. Baseball's always been more of an old-school sport. Hey, it's not about me. I don't want to be um, in front of the camera. I don't want to be talking about myself. But I think we're starting to see a shift in that a little bit, and players are starting to understand how to use their platforms in a positive way. So I think it's, to answer your question, I think it's both sides of the equation. And once we start to figure out better, okay, what does this audience look like of a new generation of watching our game? What are they attracted to? I think we start to figure out those things moving forward. Xavier, I would love to see you on a Nickelodeon-style broadcast like we saw in the NFL for the playoffs this weekend. (laughs) I think that that would be exceptional. I also would love for baseball to do something like we're seeing golf do, where Netflix has taken the the Formula One Drive to Survive docuseries approach to that. (laughs) I just would love to see a behind-the-scenes look at these guys and their lives and their preparation and, more importantly, their personalities because I think a lot of people would fall in love with a lot of the young talent in baseball. Well, honestly, to to – to, to, to tell you something, I've been talking to MLB about doing some things like that because I think, you know, you can always sit down and do interviews with these guys and, and, and you it, we get kind of bored of the same answers, right? But if you get an idea of what their lives are like um, and you get insights as to what the stories are behind these guys' journeys, um, who their support system is, what makes them special, I think of specifically um, a guy like – a guy like Yadier Molina, you know, coming from uh, Puerto Rico and, and what that journey looks like to get to where he is, Hall of Fame status now. Like, if we get more of a glimpse of what that looks like from, from a lot of players, I think you start to get an idea of what the personality's like, why a guy has a certain type of energy on the field. Um, I think of a Trey Mancini, right? We, we, we got a good idea of what that journey was like for him because the story was told so many times as to how he navigated that, that stage, um, that stage three colon cancer. So I look at being able to do that more and more with different players and you get a better response from audience and you get people more attracted to that type of player. And Xavier specifically to young people. And we've talked about this, the, the slow game, how do you get, 
people to to like. The, we're talking about getting people to like the players, but we need to find a way to get young people to like the game. And I'm sure that's something that you've thought about. So give me one thing, the the top Xavier, Xavier Scruggs thing to improve the game so that a uh, 12-year-old is going to like watching it. Oh, man, I, the top thing. You put me on the spot now. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think I, I think one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, this this pace of play, right? Uh, it's not going to be something that is going to really bring the game down to an hour and a half to two hours. It's not going to happen. But if we can just be able to make sure that we're able to cut out a lot of the slow times within the game, whether that be more of the pitching, uh, going to the mound, whether that be uh, a player calling time a certain amount of times within and at bat, um, and more of the finding ways to, to, to make sure we have action within the game. So I like some of the, the things that they're talking about when it comes to, I think it's the Atlantic League, making the bases bigger, increasing opportunities to steal bases, um, not, not picking over more than two times. Um, some, some of those issues that we can address that allow the game to have a little bit more action, I think those things will help young players and younger generation understand that this is a, a, a good fast-moving game, but it's naturally it's, it's a slower game. So I think that's part of the issue is it's always going to be a naturally slower game. So I'm more on the side of how do we market how cool this game is? So how do we, from the beginning of what we talked about, how do we show the personalities within this game? Because I think as long as we can continue to do that, there's no re- the, the players, young players play this game at the little league level. It's still slow. You still have to love the the game and what it brings to the table. So I, I think that what, what, no matter where our game goes, as far as how fast it is, you're still going to love it for the original reason. Xavier, uh, Buster Olney had his top 10 teams in baseball over at ESPN. He had the Cardinals checking in at number nine. The way that this team is currently constructed, because once things get back up and running, you may see them add a piece or two. But the way this team is currently constructed, do you think the Cardinals are a top 10 team in baseball? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And for the main reason being that that starting pitching. Um, I look at you get a healthy Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, Cy Young, Canada's uh, see uh, last year. Steven Matt's being brought over, Miles Nicholas doing his thing, and and you get a, a, a healthy Dakota Hudson. I'm excited to see what all five of these guys can do on a on a full scale season basis. I, I love that rotation. The bullpen took so many strides moving forward last year. Um, I'm excited for a lot of that pitching aspect of this game, uh, of of the Cardinals game. And then I look at you know what they did defensively was extremely impressive and some of the young players they're going to only continue to take strides forward on the offensive side so i don't know why this team wouldn't be considered a top 10 team you look at where they got to last year had an opportunity to beat the dodgers in the wild card everybody was surprised and acted like hey where did this team come from you saw it with the streak when they're playing their best baseball they can compete with anybody so that's what i'm excited to see with the dodgers you i'm sorry with the cardinals and if they add a couple other pieces this is going to be a dangerous team
Last thing for Xavier Scruggs on your YouTube channel, Michelle mentioned your top five young players. You also have the top five you don't uh, charge the mound on, and your list for current is is absolutely legit. You don't want to charge Max Scherzer, Amir Garrett, Aroldis Chapman, Mad Bum, and Liam Hendricks, all really tough guys. Obviously, if we're putting together an all-time list, Xavier, Nolan Ryan's number one on that list. But from what you know, and I'm going to give give you this, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Would you guess that if you're going to put together an all-time top five that you don't charge the mound on that Chris Carpenter's on that list? 100% Chris Carpenter's on that list. And you know who might be number one instead of Nolan Ryan? Bob Gibson. He yeah. might be number one on that list. <laughs> right. Because he was not afraid to go straight at guys. He was a headhunter. He said, get off my plate. This is my mound and my plate. So I, I love the idea of, you know what, you just gave me an idea. I'm going to do the top five players that have retired that are done playing the game that you don't charge the mound on as well because Bob has to be up there. He, he does. I, I, I just put Ryan in there only because of Robin Ventura. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, I feel bad for Robin Ventura on that one. Yeah, me too. Xavier Scruggs, we always love talking to you. Thanks so much for the time, and we'll do it again soon. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Xavier Scruggs, and you can follow him on Twitter, and he's just got such great content at all of his social media platforms, whether it's on Twitter where you can follow him at Xavier underscore Scruggs on YouTube and all the other socials. He, he does great work, and I love the fact that he's been talking to MLB about getting kids involved. But he understands all these platforms. Yep. He understands that he can't just do things on a terrestrial radio or traditional media platform that he needs to get onto YouTube and TikTok and that that's mm-hmm. where he's going to find this younger audience. So I love that baseball is using him as an influence for these discussions because Xavier Scruggs is the, uh, t- the type of guy that they should be listening to. Coming up, the latest on MLB Hall of Fame voting as we head down the stretch of Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, a couple of things for you. Number one, we talked to Randy Orton earlier. You can register to win tickets to the Royal Rumble January 29th at the Dome at 101ESPN.com or on the 101ESPN app. And the Championship Bash is back in 2022. It's going to be Sunday, January 30th at Helen Fitzgerald's. You can join members of the 101 ESPN crew. Uh, I'll be doing a show out there, I believe, with Anthony Stalter. Car Shield is going to be out there, Bud Light. And you can enjoy tons of TVs to watch the games at Helen Fitzgerald's. Food and drink, music, a bunch of giveaways throughout the day, including a grill. Awesome. Jerseys. Awesome. Tickets and more. The Bash kicks off at noon with a live pregame show leading up to the first kickoff for the first game at 2 o'clock. Hope to see you next Sunday, January 30th at Helen Fitzgerald's for this year's Champ Bash brought to you by Car Shield and Bud Light. It's going to be a good time. Looking forward to it. Michelle, the latest Hall of Fame voting is in. Ryan Thibodeau, who keeps track of such things with the votes that have been made public, right now has Scott Rowland in at 69%. His number has gone down since last we looked at this. Of the votes that are left, he would need to accumulate 79.6% of the remaining votes to get to the 75% threshold to make the Hall of Fame. So at the moment, it does not look good for Scott Rowland. 
the number of ballots that have been turned in and that have been made public right now, 43.6% of the ballots. 43.6, that's all. Yeah. Uh, 392 ballots cast, and you need 294 positive ballots to get to 75% at the moment. I know that those numbers tend to go down uh, than the initial numbers that Mm -hmm. we saw as more ballots come in. There's obviously fluctuation based on the diversity of results. But that's disappointing to hear that Scott Rowland's number dropped that way because he was trending very positively. And a lot of people that were interviewed about Scott Rowland explained that he was getting traction and that Mm -hmm. a lot of people thought this would be the year for him. By the way, it looks like David Ortiz is going to be the only guy that's going to make it. He's at 83.6% of the votes right now, the public ballots that have been cast. Now, he might be victimized by people that believe he used PEDs as well, because he was reportedly, by the New York Times, a PED user before they started testing in 2004. At the moment, Barry Bonds is at 77.2%. We would guess that that would go down because of his history. Roger Clemens at 76%. And again, you'd anticipate that with the voters, the more old school voters that are Mm -hmm. 100% against voting for somebody that is alleged to have used steroids, at least they allege to have used steroids because they don't allege that Piazza or Bagwell did, those guys' percentages will probably go down. Which is an interesting conversation point because the Ortiz case is very murky. Yep. It's it's very clouded. And you can really only go on what you have hard evidence of if you are making this case because how many people have you've heard whispers of things behind the scenes, but if it's not a proven thing, that seems silly to withhold someone from this honor despite all that they've given to the game and the results that you saw on the field because of something that wasn't hard proven and was just kind of swept under the rug. Even it, even if you believe that there's truth to it yep. and there is reason to do that when it comes to something as serious at, at the, as the Hall of Fame, you can't really, I don't think, make your decision based on speculation. And there's so many opinions and so many tentacles to this story. But I always go back to the fact that for those guys, Bonds, Clemens, They never tested positive and were suspended for using PEDs by Major League Baseball. Now, was what they did perhaps morally wrong or legally wrong? Yes, but in terms of baseball rules, they never tested positive. I'm much more inclined to give Bonds and Clemens the benefit of the doubt than A-Rod, who did get suspended, Mm -hmm. or Ryan Braun, who did get suspended. I, I would vote for Bonds and Clemens simply because... They, even though they did, first of all, I think the Hall of Fame already has multiple steroid users. Yeah. And they never did get caught when it was against baseball's collectively bargained rules. Which is why you would think that David Ortiz wouldn't be falling victim to this. Right, right. Because he reportedly tests positive for that test in 03. But he does get, like Greg Amsinger has pointed out, he does get the benefit of being a good guy, which Clemens and Bonds don't get. Or A-Rod. No, exactly. This has been fun, and uh, it's been a great job by uh, Grant Fisher, our producer-engineer. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It was a fun show today. A lot of good guests. It was terrific, and we'll do it again tomorrow. Michelle, this was great. It was great, Randy. It was a I happy was... hump day. It was, and tomorrow's, what did we decide, Friday Eve? Yeah.
It Friday, Friday Eve tomorrow. See you then. Looking forward to that. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Tim McKernan and the balloon party is next. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.